Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a lot to talk about in the world of mixed martial arts. A ton going on. But what we're going to do is talk a little bit about the format. I know we've been talking about this a lot lately. If you've been tuning into the, the podcast, I've decided I'm just going to keep it simple. I'm going to do a recap. I'm going to play interviews. I'm going to do a preview. That's it. That's what the podcast is going to be going forward. It's going to be just yours truly, except for on the episodes where Kazuki Joe joins me to recap the major events. And I'm going to do a, a recap of uh, the past weekend's events. Probably a, a little bit of a, a quick recap. Talk about the major storylines what we learned coming out of the event, hit up some interviews, and then do a quick preview of the, uh, the upcoming week's card. So in total, the podcast will be about uh, an hour and a half in length, hour to an hour and a half. Of course, if you're listening on TSN radio in Toronto or Ottawa, same time as usual, same length as usual. If you want to hear uh, the longer version of the show, you can subscribe wherever podcasts are found to the TSN MMA show. But before we get to that, I spoke to Ali Abdelaziz, the manager from Dominance MMA, who manages many of the top stars in the UFC, as well as other promotions worldwide. And I asked him about Frankie Edgar, who fought about a year ago, uh, back actually in November at Madison Square Garden. And he had mentioned to me that Frankie Edgar wants to fight one more time. He wants to fight for a final time at Madison Square Garden in November. And that's the subject of this week's monologue. Clocking in at just under 8 hours of cage time, Frankie Edgar has spent more time in the octagon than any other fighter in UFC history, and if he gets his way, he'll be able to build upon that record for a final time this November at Madison Square Garden. This according to his manager, Ali Abdelaziz. And uh, he said he would like to do one more Madison Square Garden November 12th. Edgar is a lock for the UFC Hall of Fame. He held the lightweight championship for nearly two years, despite being greatly undersized for the division, an accomplishment that still blows my mind to this day. His durability was legendary, going nearly 13 years without losing inside the distance. And while that durability has waned over the last two years, Edgar has shown that he can still hang with the very best after two very competitive rounds against top five ranked Cheeto Vera this past November. Now it's time for Edgar's swan song, and I'm going to propose some options for his final UFC appearance. Number one, Uriah Faber. The California Kid is my top choice. Two legendary fighters who put the lower weight classes on the map in mixed martial arts, both in their 40s in what would be a very competitive fight. Number two, Rafael Asuncao. Another fighter in his 40s. Well, at least as of today. Happy birthday, Rafael. He's lost four in a row, but all to strong names like Marlon Moraes, Corey Sanhagen, Cody Garbrandt, and Ricky Simone. Number three, Brian Kelleher. Now, Kelleher may not be the biggest name, but a New York versus New Jersey bout at the Garden is always a fun option. Number four, Sean O'Malley. Yeah, yeah, some people will say, hey, you're feeding the veteran to the young up-and-coming fighter, but the fact is that Frankie's actually ranked ahead of O'Malley, and this would be a very entertaining final fight for Edgar, win or lose. And number five, Rob Font. The final option would bring someone from enemy territory, Boston, to try and spoil the party. But both Font and Edgar are fast-footed volume strikers who would make for a very fun matchup. Regardless of who Edgar faces, let's be thankful that we got to witness his inspiring career that proved skill is more important than size. I'm Aaron Bronstetter, 
and this is the monologue. So why don't we dive right in? Yair Rodriguez defeats Brian Ortega via TKO shoulder injury. Four minutes and 11 seconds into the first round. And that leaves things a little bit inconclusive in the featherweight division, although Alexander Volkanovsky was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani earlier this week, and shed a little bit of light on where the division could go from here. And I think that he's on the same page as a lot of other people. So is that what's going to happen? Who knows? We'll see. Of course, health is always an issue. Somebody else could emerge. Who knows? I feel like there's a lot of inconclusiveness, a lot of questions here. So let's talk about the win itself. Would Yair Rodriguez have submitted Brian Ortega under any circumstance? Probably not. But still, a win's a win. You got to credit him with a win. He did something to manipulate Brian Ortega's arm that forced him to pull it out, causing the shoulder to dislocate. That's a win. When Uriah Hall defeated Chris Weidman because Weidman kicked his leg and his leg broke, that's a win. Do you get as much credit for a win like that? In my eyes, you don't. It's because we, we still have a lot of unanswered questions. That's not really... Unless you're injuring somebody using a submission, like Julia Stolyarenko recently, I think she broke Jessica Rose Clark's arm with her, with her arm bar. So with that in mind, is that really a, a true injury stoppage? I mean, did, did, did Yair Rodriguez cause the injury? That's the part that's a little bit inconclusive. And how would the fight have played out if it went all five rounds or would have continued the way it was going? To me, it looked like Ortega had the upper hand at the time. Like he was controlling where the action was going. It looked like it was going to the ground. And if that's the case, that's where Brian Ortega thrives. But got to give Yair Rodriguez credit. He gets the win. He's got a W on his record now. But the question then becomes, is that enough to earn a title shot? Now, the good news for Yair Rodriguez and kind of also the bad news, is that Volkanovski is injured. He wants to move up to 55 to fight for the lightweight championship against the winner of the fight that was announced on the broadcast, UFC 280, vacant lightweight championship, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhachev, the fight that I am now most looking forward to for the rest of this calendar year. Really excited about that particular fight. Can't wait. But... The bad news for Yair Rodriguez is he's not going to get an immediate title shot because Volkanovski looks like he's moving up. He's injured. But the good news for him is he's definitely a candidate, possibly even the front runner for any sort of interim championship that comes about. It's a real, um, real change of narrative around Yair Rodriguez. You know, just a couple years ago, this guy was basically out of the promotion. Fights with Zabit kept getting lined up, kept falling apart, lined up, falling apart. It was the fight everybody wanted to see. Didn't come to fruition. And as a result, Yair Rodriguez was actually released for a time. And because he was released, you know, people kind of said, this guy's ducking Zabit. Well, we, we never are going to find out what's going to happen in that fight because Zabit is now retired. And since then, Yair Rodriguez had that great win over the Korean Zombie. I think that might have been actually before that. Yeah, the, the, the Zabit belt was for 2020. So that was actually well before that. So basically, this all happened after the Jeremy Stevens win in 2019. So he wins that fight. You know, Jeremy Stevens at the time, pretty good you know, ranked fighter, I believe. Not a whole lot of buzz around Yair Rodriguez. 
He had that great win over the Korean Zombie. I think that at the time was kind of the peak of his buzz. But that was coming off a loss, so he wasn't really in, didn't have contender status at that point. Then I think the thing that actually really helped his stock was the fight against Max Holloway. He lost that fight unanimous decision, but that was a close fight. And he had made a really good account for himself against the guy that is clearly the second best guy in the division behind Volkanovski. Made it a tough test for Max Holloway and really showed what he's capable of. Now, with a win over a guy like Ortega, who I think if you beat Brian Ortega, you're absolutely legit, now you become a title challenger, potentially. But then there's another guy in the division named Josh Emmett. And Josh Emmett recently had a, a win of his own. Another one that a lot of people kind of put some question marks on. Close fight against Calvin Cater. I don't think that you can say it was a robbery. It was a close, closely contested fight. He gets the edge. He gets the nod. Split decision win over Calvin Cater. That coming off of wins against Dan Ige. Great fighter. Shane Burgos. We saw what he did this past weekend. Great fighter. Mirsad Bektich. At the time, that was a big win. Michael Johnson. Also a solid win. Michael Johnson's been one of the tough guys to beat for a while. Like he's just a, he's a tough out. Knocked him out. And before that was his loss to Jeremy Stevens, which actually kept him out of action for some time. But uh, since then, so of course, since the Stevens loss, five in a row. Good wins. He's 7-1 and one in the featherweight division, including a knockout win over Ricardo Lamas, and he was a big underdog in that fight. Although he did miss weight. So it's technically a catchweight fight. But be that as it may, Josh Emmett has certainly made a case for himself as well. So now it seems the obvious thing to do is match up Emmett and Yair Rodriguez for some sort of interim championship. I think there's a strong possibility that happens. The other thing is Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo wanted to move up to 45. Is that going to happen now? Henry Cejudo is back in the USADA pool. He's kind of the, the, the X factor here because who knows what's going to happen. But... I, him and Yair Rodriguez are tight. They're not going to fight, even though that would be a big fight in terms of uh, Mexican fighters, fighters of Mexican heritage, and of course, Yair's from Mexico. Um, Cejudo's family from Mexico. That would be a massive fight. You could do Cejudo versus Josh Emmett, but is that a fight really that he would want to... That, that's the comeback fight for Cejudo? It seems like Cejudo wants something bigger than that. So I think what we most likely see is Emmett versus Rodriguez for an interim championship, will be a big fight when Volkanovski comes back to defend the 145 belt. It'll be against the winner of that fight. Now, whether that just isn't one number one contendership fight or an interim championship fight, that's up to the UFC. Personally, I think they should do an interim championship fight because guys get paid more. They get pay-per-view points. So, I always want that for the fighters. I know people don't like, some people don't like interim championships. It seems like a lot of people are coming around to them, though. A lot of people that used to malign them I think are starting to come around because they see that it's good for the fighters. And it doesn't really mean anything in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's a token. It's basically like a, it's like a golden ticket. You go to the chocolate factory, you get the golden ticket. The golden ticket just gets you the trip to the chocolate factory. So that you get a, you get a trip to the championship and the chance to win it, become the undisputed champion. But the championship would be disputed because you'd have an interim champion. So we'll see what ends up happening there. But I think that is probably the, the logical next step is to do that fight. I think if, if you're going to try to figure out the division, I think that's a good fix. I, I'm, I'm happy with that as the compromise. And if, if Volkanovski's on board like he said he was this week, he says it'll make the fight between him and the winner of that fight even bigger. I agree with that. Let's go. Amanda Lemos defeats Michelle Watterson via submission, guillotine choke, minute and 48 seconds into the second round. Nice win for Amanda Lemos. Um... I figured that she would win this fight. I thought that 
she would find a, a KO at some point in time, but she's dangerous everywhere the fight goes, and she's, she's got good submission skills. She's already 35, but recently turned 35, but I still think that she is somebody who can get to a championship fight if she keeps winning against big-name opponents. And she fell short against Andrade, but if she ends up beating like a Marina Rodriguez or somebody along those lines, you know, who knows what she can do. But she doesn't have that much time. She has probably a good year or two to get into that title mix. But it went over Michelle Waterson certainly like, doesn't hurt. If you look at the people that have previously beaten Michelle Waterson, it's kind of a who's who. Carla Esparza, current champ. Joanna Injacek, former champ. Tisha Torres. Rose Namajunas. Marina, Marina Rodriguez. So Amanda Lemos joins that kind of company in the UFC. Now fighters that have defeated Michelle Waterson have gone on to bigger and better things. Save for maybe Tisha Torres, who has just been a consistently solid fighter in the division. Now, I was on the uh, Anakin Florian show, and, you know, people are getting on me because I said, you, you could probably call that a, technically that should have been a TKO. L- let me just explain why I said that and what that means, because people are like, no, that's clearly a submission. Well, yeah, it is clearly a submission. You had somebody in a guillotine choke, they tapped, and that's a submission win. But let me just give you the explanation, because, listen, it's totally a technicality, and it's silly, and I don't care if it's a TKO or a submission. It doesn't make any difference to me. But the ref didn't see the tap. The ref didn't stop the fight. Lamos releases the hold. The referee basically is like, what's going on? At that point, Watterson basically acknowledges that she tapped. So it's technically TKO retirement. That's all I'm saying. That, that's how you would categorize something like that, where a fighter is unable to continue a fight. That's considered a TKO retirement if the referee doesn't see the tap. That's all. Listen, it's just semantics. It's technicalities. It's not a hill I'm willing to die on. And that's why I didn't tweet it over over the weekend. Because I knew the people were going to say, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. This is commission stuff. It's not a big deal. I don't care either way. So don't get too hung up on this. I'm not hung up on it. I just brought it up because Kenny was like, well, Ortega, Yair should have been a submission. People are going back and watching, and apparently Ortega did tap. So maybe you can make a case. I didn't see a tap when I was watching it, but... That's basically what his loss was, was a TKO injury, TKO retirement. So, it's just a technicality. Don't get too hung up on it. Li Jinglang looks great, finishes, becomes the first person to knock out Muslim Salikov in MMA. Which is not an easy task. That is the king of Kung Fu, after all. So, a solid win for Li Jinglang. This is just what he needed after that loss to Hamza Shemaev to show that he, uh, he still got it. He has still got it. And that you can't really, you know, he was willing to take the fight with Shemaev when a lot of people weren't. So you got to give the guy his flowers. Good win for him over Muslim Salikov. So much to say about Matt Chanel versus Suma Dergian. It's hard to sum up into words just how good that fight was. That's an unbelievable, that second round is as good of a round as you'll ever see. I mean, if you, if you were to sit someone down and say, and they said, show me the craziest round of mixed martial arts that you can find. You're talking... Nick Diaz versus Paul Daly's in the mix. Chanel versus Suma Derji's in the mix. I think Oliveira versus Gaethje was a great round. I mean, you, you could probably talk about that. You can talk about the uh, Pat Berry and Czech Congo, that round where they were going back and forth, and both of them seemed like they were out of it. There's a lot of good options for the best round, but this one is in the mix, firmly in the mix, because Max Chanel looked like he was out on his feet several times, stayed with it. I think after the fight, he said he couldn't even remember what happened. Like, his muscle memory took over to a point where he was able to find the triangle choke and choke Muderji unconscious. 
He was a big underdog in that fight, too. Now, Sumaderji's team, I believe, came out and said that he had a torn ACL going into the fight, but be that as it may, you can't take away what Matt Janelle did there. The, the amount of heart, the amount of resilience, the testament to the human spirit for Matt Janelle. You'll love to see it. It's a phenomenon. That's probably going to be the round of the year. I, I have a lot of trouble thinking there's a round that's going to beat it. I'm going to have to go back and watch Gaethje versus Oliveira that round again, because that was like, I remember that being a frenetic round. I was watching it backstage at the time. I haven't had a chance to really sit down and, and digest it from a viewer standpoint. You know, with no distractions. But Schnell versus Sumaderji. Ooh, what a round. What a round. So kudos to Matt Schnell. That's a big win. I would love to see him face Jeff Molina next. Molina basically called out Schnell when I interviewed Molina last. He said, you know, one guy I've always wanted to face is Matt Schnell because I love the guy. I look up to the guy. I think he's an awesome fighter. I watched him on, on Cage, and he's, he's kind of the guy that got me into the sport. That would be a fun fight. But Schnell's probably going to want to move up. Like, he's ranked higher than Molina. He probably wants to fight up the ladder rather than down. But I'm not turning that fight off if they make it. Schnell versus Molina. That would be a fun fight. Shane Burgos defeats Charles Jordan. Majority decision 29-28, 29-28, and 28-28. I don't have a problem with any of these scorecards, to be honest. You know, a lot of people were making a big hubbub about it. How can you score the second round 10-8 and the third round? You not score the third round 10-8. Well... I think that you could score both rounds as a 10-8. I think you could score both rounds as a 10-9. Now, if you're the judge watching Cage side, you have to remember, you're not watching the broadcast. And you also can't change your scorecard after the fact. So if you're a judge, you see Burgos applying a deep neck crank. You see the referee checking on him. You see the referee lifting his arm to a point where you're seeing if he's still in that fight. The referee has the best seat in the house. He sees what the look on Jordan's face is. He sees how deep that choke is. Or neck crank, whatever it, I don't, I don't know if he ever got under the chin. But that referee has a front row seat. And if they're checking on Jordan, and you're a judge and you're seeing that from cage side, in your head you're saying, this fight is close to being stopped. This fight could be over at any second. I didn't get that sense in the third round. As much as Jordan was putting it on Burgos, I didn't see a time where I was thinking, ooh, the ref could stop it here. Didn't see it. And I, I love Charles Jordan. He's one of, I think, one of the best fighters to watch in the UFC right now. 26 years old, sky's the limit for him. So I don't see a problem with scoring either of those rounds really a 10-8. If you score just one of them a 10-8, that's fine too. Because if you're a judge, you hand in your 10-8, you're on to the next one. You, you, your scorecard's in, you, you forget about it. That's what a judge is supposed to do. You're not supposed to keep a mental tally in your head of who's getting what round. Every round is basically a fresh fight. You have to score that autonomously. And so, and so what? So what, let's say he did score a 10-8 for Jordan. What is it? It's now a split decision win for Burgos. So the how can you score at a 10-8 for... It doesn't make a difference. And then you look at the Burgos side on round one. That's a close round. Like, I think you can score that round either way. Burgos had a good sub halfway through the round in the first half of the round. Second half of the round, Jordan started to outstrike Burgos and looked really good. So it depends on what the judges see in cage side. Again, it's, it's a determination they have to make on the spot. So for all three judges to give Burgos a 10-9 in the first round, I don't have a problem with it. I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for both these guys. Burgos now uh, has reached the end of his contract. We'll see where he goes from here. I'm sure there will be a lot of interest in him. He wants to stay in the UFC. I hope that the UFC keep him. Dana White was asked about him after the fight and said, yeah, that's the type of guy we want to keep around. And uh, Jordan got props from the boss backstage. He deserves it. He looked great. I think his stock only goes up after a performance like that. Lauren Murphy defeats Misha Tate. 
A lot of people are like, oh, Misha, Misha Tate's washed. Misha Tate can't hang with the can't hang with fighters anymore. Lauren Murphy deserves credit. Don't take anything. Give the give the credit to Lauren Murphy. Don't take away from Misha Tate. Don't detract from Misha Tate. Because Lauren Murphy just looked great. Looked fantastic in that fight. She's training at a new camp over at Team Elevation. Her husband is still, of course, one of her coaches as well. And so is her first coach, uh, Alex, who she trained with in Houston. So she's working in Denver with them. She looked, I think, the best she's ever looked. Looked fantastic against Misha Tate. Now, can you close the door on Misha Tate ever getting a title shot again? Maybe. Like, maybe she's not just not at that level anymore, and that's fine. But just don't take away from Lauren Murphy's performance, because I think that's the story. The story isn't the Tate isn't the same Tate. We probably could have guessed that, right? It took three years off the sport, maybe four years, I can, I, a long time away from the sport. To come back and be good and to challenge for a title is hard to do. She had a good winning as Marion Renault, but Marion Renault had to put out the door. She's 40, mid-40s. You know, you don't see a lot of women competing into their 40s in general. So what do you take from that win? It was an impressive win at the time. And then we saw her against Ketlin Vieira, and now we know what, what, what to make of Misha Tate. She's a good fighter. She's still probably... I think she can still get some wins, but what does she want out of her career? Lauren Murphy, though, looked great, and I think that she's trying to do her darn just to stay in the title conversation, even though she had that really bad loss to Shevchenko, which she attributes to being injured going into the fight, and she didn't want to lose the opportunity. So she went out and didn't look good. It happens. But she looked great on Saturday. What have you done for me lately? A lot, Lauren Murphy. Puna Soriano defeats Dalcha Lunjambula. Fight kind of played out how I said it would. It's like I just didn't see what Lunjambula was going to do better than Puna. Although I thought that Lunjambula probably performed as best, as good as he would have against Puna Soriano in the first round. Puna Soriano eh, celebration a little over the top, granted. But him and his coach made fun of it uh, on Instagram. Eric Nixick, you can check out his Instagram to see uh, him giving Puna some uh, celebratory advice going forward. But uh, he needed that to get back in the win column. His fight against Maximov, I thought he technically won that fight based on the scoring criteria. But uh, nice to have him with another win. Very, very nice guy. And in the cage, just an absolute beast. Ricky Simone. Hands Jack Shore his first ever mixed martial arts loss. Looked great in doing so. This guy's going to be a tough out for anybody in the bantamweight division. I think that he's slowly moving his way up the ladder in a very, very stacked division. He wants to fight Sean O'Malley next. Sign me up for that one. That's a fantastic fight. Bill Algio defeats Herbert Burns. Burns got injured in the fight. Looked terrible after he got injured. And he's coming off a two-year layoff from his previous injury. I just hope Herbert Burns is okay and is able to... You know, maybe the injury is not as bad as he thinks it is, and he's able to to fight again soon. That's, I mean, that's the best you can wish for in a situation like that. Algio looked great. Herbert hung in there, but you could tell that uh, something was bothering him, something was up, and it turned out it was just him uh, re-injuring his knee in the first round. Dustin Jacoby. I said last week, I'm done doubting this guy. Ended up being a TSN Edge recommended play, and then the line went down even more. It was minus 130 when I picked him. He was an underdog at uh, the time of the fight. And he looked great against Unjung, gets the knockout win in the first round. Dustin Stolzfitz defeats Dwight Grant. I gave Grant the first. I gave Stolzfitz uh, two and three. The judges saw it the same way. Good on Stolzfitz for getting that UFC win that he needed. And, uh, you know, this guy's a a great grappler. And then you look at who he's faced in his first three bouts. You got Kyle Dawkins, you got Gerald Mearshart, and you got Hadolfo Vieira, like three of the best 
<laughs> grapplers in the middleweight division, they weren't doing him any favors with the matchmaking. Now they give him a Dwight Grant who's moved up from 170 thought that this was a good opportunity for him to succeed, and he did so. Dwight Grant, uh, unfortunately, looks like he's no longer with the promotion. Great performance from uh, Emily Ducati in her promotional debut against uh, Jessica Pineda open the night. I think that she's going places in the strawweight division. She could challenge for a title one day. She's very, very well-rounded and very sharp. So uh, good on her for getting that win. I thought that she just ran circles around Jessica Pineda. I'm surprised that uh, two judges saw a round for Pineda in there. Bonuses went to uh, Matt Chanel versus Suma Dershi, obviously. And then, you know, Uncle Dana was feeling generous after giving $250,000 to some dude from the Nelk Boys, giving bonuses to Amanda Lemos, Li Jing Lang, Puna Soriano, Ricky Simone, Bill Algio, and Dustin Jacoby. So if you combine all of those, it's more than he gave to that one guy from the Nelk Boys. So uh, take, take from that what you will. But uh, happy to see so many fighters get bonuses. It's always nice to see uh, when an event goes successfully, you get all these great finishes and uh, they all get rewarded with some extra money. That uh, is certainly something I will always be cheering for um, when, when covering the sport. I want to see the fighters make as much as humanly possible. And speaking of which, speaking of a fighter that wants to make as much as humanly possible, Nate Diaz called out the UFC. Did a long interview with Ariel Helwani and said, I, you know, I want to fight my last fight and then I want to be a free man. And then it came to light that basically in mid-October, he was going to be a free man anyways. So he had a sunset clause in his contract. So <laughs> the UFC booked him. Booked him against Hamzat Shamaya, the main event of UFC 279 in September. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, they're, they're throwing him to the wolves on his way out. But apparently he's been asking for Shamayev since April. That's the report that he's been wanting this fight with Shamayev. So don't call out the UFC. Call out Nate. Like, Nate wants this fight. So if Nate gets demolished by Hamzat Shamayev, and the, the current line would indicate that that's what the, the public perception is, Diaz wanted this fight. Diaz wants to fight the people that have the most clout at the time. He wants to fight the big names. He wants to fight the people that have the most hype surrounding them. And that is Shamayev right now. That's the right person to call out if you're, if you're Nate Diaz and that's the guy you want to fight. So we'll see how he does. I mean, hey, coming into this with kind of nothing to lose. He's going to be a free agent after the fight anyways. He's got a lot to gain. But I don't think he has much to lose. I think he's still going to be able to, you know, if he ends up boxing against Jake Paul or something along those lines, I think a lot of people would tune in to watch that. More people than are going to watch Paul versus Hasim Rockman Jr. than I'll tell you that much. That's a guarantee. It would be, I think it'll be the best Jake Paul pay-per-view he'll, he'll have ever done if he boxes Nate Diaz. So I understand why he, uh, he wants to go that route. But I also don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's done in the UFC. I think that he uh, might end up competing in the UFC again if the offer's right. But uh, yeah, that's a five-round main event in September. And my first thought was, wow, they're going to put this over the title fight because uh, the reports had indicated that Aljamain Sterling was going to face TJ Dillashaw on this card, UFC 279. Instead, they've now moved that to UFC 280. So you've got a stacked main and co-main for that card. Oliveira taking on Makhachev for the vacant lightweight title. And then you've got the bantamweight championship on the line, Aljamain Sterling against the champion who never lost the title in the cage, TJ Dillashaw. I mean, he lost it once to Dominic Cruz, but in his most recent reign, has never lost the, the belt in the cage. If you want to, I'm just making sure people aren't going to catch me on the technicality here. So that's the big news from this week. And uh, I'm still a little bit, I'm not shocked by it. I'm, the thing I'm shocked about is that they made it a five-round main event. I think that's interesting. I think that's very, very interesting. 
So before we get to the interviews, why don't we take a look at this weekend's card? I'm trying to just see if there's anything else that we're missing here. Anything else that uh, any other big news? But uh, we'll just we'll just jump ahead. Let's take a look at the odds for this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel Canada. Tom Aspinall minus one forty six. Curtis Blades plus one fourteen is the if it closes in this uh, stratosphere. It'll be the first time that Curtis Blades has been a, an underdog in his UFC career. You're going with the known versus the unknown. Aspinall, we still haven't seen his complete game. We still haven't seen what he does if he's on his back. We still haven't seen if it goes into the deep rounds. That's what makes him such a mystery. But the reason why that's a mystery is because he's clobbering everybody in the first round, except for Arlovsky, we beat early in the second round. Like, this guy has all the tools. This guy's winning fights with ease. And that's why he's a favorite here. Whereas Curtis Blades... Take down, take down, take down, rinse and repeat. Like, that's how he's going to beat the best heavyweights. His striking's also caught up. It's looking really good. I asked him, you know, how he would rank his striking out of 10 now. He says it's an 8. It's starting to move up. Will it ever be a 10? Who knows? But I don't think there are a lot of 10s in the heavyweight division if you're looking at all-around striking anyhow. That being said, it's in London. I understand why Aspinall's favored. But I got to go with Blades here. You're giving me underdog price on a guy that I know what he can do. Like, I know that this guy can, can take Aspinall down and, and make his life miserable. I know that his striking's improved. Look at his last fight against Chris Dawkins, A fantastic striker in his own right. Got highest knockdown ratio right now per 15 minutes in the entire UFC heavyweight division. Blades toyed with him. And that fight didn't go to the ground once. So I got to go Curtis Blades. You're giving me dog money on that? I'll take that. I'm also uh, looking at the fight doesn't go to a decision. You can parlay that with whatever you want. I don't think this fight goes the distance. I do not think it goes the distance. No siree. I think we see a finish in the first two or three rounds. The action man, Chris Curtis. Short notice assignment. Even money against Jack Hermansson. That's how he told me it's pronounced. Everybody says Hermansson. That's the uh, Swedish pronunciation, if, if you will. I understand why this is an even money fight. Chris Curtis has looked fantastic. But you're going to give me a full camp Jack Hermanson, Hermanson at even money? It's hard to go against the money train that is Chris Curtis so far. But, I mean, is this a bridge too far? Let's find out. But I, I got to go with, with Jack at minus 113. I, I just, I think that's the side. How does, he might, he could find a sub. I think on the feet, he's not going to be a fish out of water there think the fight could go to a decision like this fight could end in any variety of ways but I mean I understand people taking Chris Curtis in his previous fights you, you know he was a slight favorite against Adolfo Vieira and that fight was that fight was less than a month ago let's keep that in mind and that went the distance he was a big underdog against Brandon Allen three to one underdog won that fight was a three to one underdog against Phil Haas won that fight but if you want to get him at value sure but now you're giving me him on a shortened camp Against the guy who's had a full camp, three-round fight. Yeah, I got to go with Jack here at, at even money. I, I, you know, it's not a recommended play, but I think if I have to pick a side, that's the side I'm going with. Patty Pimblet minus two ninety. Jordan Levitt plus two fifteen. I see a lot of value in Levitt by submission. It's plus five fifty right now. Like I think if you're going to throw a dart, that's the way to do it because that's the way he's going to win this fight if he if he wins. Like I, I think you're just getting free value because I don't see Levitt knocking him out. I don't see Levitt winning a decision. I see submission or bust for him. So if he's plus 215 money line, and you can get him at plus 550, double, more than double the value on the sub, take the sub. You can take Patty too if you want. Like you can get Patty 
inside the distance at around even money. You bet both of them. You just have it as an insurance plan if you want. Now, does it, if it goes to a decision, yeah, then you're out of luck. Unless you parlay. You could parlay Patty Pimblet as well. I'm just saying, if you want an insurance plan, that's a good one to have. Plus 550 Jordan Levitt. So that was my that was my dark throw of the week. Because Levitt has a fantastic submission game. And I think that if, if he wins this fight, that's how it gets done. I think Patty more often than not wins the fight. It's probably 60-70% of the time. But I think if Levitt does win the fight in that 40 or 30% probability, it's by submission. So I think that's how it gets done. If, uh, if you're going to take Levitt in any sort of way. Nikita Krilov, minus 210. Alexander Gustafsson, plus 162. Tough fight to call. Uh, I, I will probably stay away from this one. So many different ways that this fight could end. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have a, a strong lead on this one because we haven't seen Gustafsson fight at light heavyweight in a long time. It's been a minute. Fought at heavyweight in his last fight against Verdum, got submitted. Weren't sure when we'd see him fight again. Now, almost two years later to the day, he's back in the light heavyweight division. If you look at his last six fights, five of them have been against uh, former champions, one, and the other one was against the title challenger. So he's been fighting high-level competition. Krilov would be a big step down, I'd say, in terms of the level of competition he's fought. So to get him at an underdog price, plus 162, when he was fighting Verdum, he was a minus 275 favorite. So is he two years later, with, with more training, he's, he's going to be a worse version of that? Who knows? But probably dog or pass in my eyes. Molly McCann minus 460, Hannah Goldie plus 320. I like the McCann by decision prop. You can get that at minus 130 over at FanDuel. I think it's basically close to even money. So I don't see McCann getting a finish here against Goldie. I think it's going to be a, a closely contested fight, as a lot of these women's flyweight fights are. So the McCann by decision side is the way that I'm looking at that one. I think it's going to be a close one. Volkan Uzdemir minus 166, Paul Craig plus 130. If you're going to give me Craig by submission... Basically, at plus 200 or above against anybody, I'm taking it. And that's just, it's an auto bet for me at this point in time. So that's the way I'm going. And it's boosted on FanDuel Canada. If you want to get a booster, it's a, you can get the Craig by submission prop boosted. TSN odds booster on, uh, on FanDuel Canada. So I think Craig by submission is the way to go here. I think that uh, he is great at finding openings. I think at some point against Uzdemir, he finds one. But Uzdemir is a very smart fighter, high fight IQ. I understand why the line is this way, but Craig is on such a tear right now. He's won five in a row. All of them are by either submission or KO in a submission-type fashion. Like, one was kind of an injury stoppage against uh, Jamal Hill as a result of his submission skills. And the other one was submissions to strikes, which was ruled a TKO against uh, Shogun Hua. Mark Diakizi, minus 400. Demir Hadzovic, plus 285. Hadzovic is a really good striker. So to get him at plus 285, that's an interesting one. But I like the decision prop. Fight goes to a decision that's minus 104 on FanDuel. I think that's probably the best result you can you can uh, look at. But Diakizzi is a decent finisher. Hadzovic is just really tough. So I think it's a dogger pass. And then I, I also like the goes to a decision prop. Diakizzi sure did change his perception after that last fight. That's for sure. Nathaniel Wood, minus 590. Charles Rosa, plus 390. I mean, I think Wood wins this fight, but that's a big number to lay. I mean, if you you want to parlay him, more more power to you. Rose is a tough guy to finish. You could get uh, Wood by decision. That prop, you can get a minus 130. 
kind of like that. I feel like he could get a stoppage, but Rosa has been notoriously tough to stop. Jonathan Pierce, minus 225. Maquan Amir Khani, plus 172. I like Pierce here a lot. I think he's parlay material. He's going to have better output. He's, he's got good wrestling that can offset what Amir Khani throws at him. You know, Amir Khani's good with his submissions, but he tends to take advantage of fighters that, that are fatigued. Pierce doesn't really tend to fatigue much. I like him at minus 225. I think that he's a decent parlay piece at that price. Mason Jones, minus 360, short notice assignment. Ludovic Klein, plus 260. Whew. This is a tough one to call because I think Ludovic Klein is a really good fighter, and I think this is a good stylistic matchup for him. Um, so this is a total pass for me, to be honest. Muhammad Mokayev, minus 520, Charles Johnson, plus 350. Johnson is not an easy out. This is a tough matchup for Mokayev. I understand why he's a big favorite. I think he's going to be a future champion one day in, in flyweight. He's still super young. Um, you can look at the Mokayev props. Mokayev, by decision, is plus 200. That's an interesting one to me because Johnson is certainly going to be a tough out. Um, that's probably the best prop I would look at if you like the Mokayev side. You could also parlay him with some of the other favorites uh, mentioned earlier that I like. Uh, Jai Herbert, minus 310. Kyle Nelson, plus 230. You know, I spoke to Kyle, and he seems pretty dialed in. He's happy to be getting a full camp. It's his first full camp since joining the UFC. He's fighting at 155 pounds, a healthier weight class for him. He seems really dialed in. So uh, eager to see what he does. Jai Herbert, not an easy opponent for him, but uh, one who can be taken advantage of uh, down the stretch. So if uh, Nelson hangs in there, you could look for him to perhaps find a late KO. Mandy Baum, minus 138. Leonardo, plus 108. I like the Mandy Baum side here. I think uh, you could look at a decision because Leonardo is very tough. Uh, if that's one thing she's got going for her, is toughness. But plus 140 for a decision prop. Probably better off just taking the money line because, uh, you know, anything can happen in mixed martial arts. Nicholas Dalby, minus 280. Hannibal, Claudia Silva, plus 210 to open the card. Interesting one. I like Dalby by decision. It's plus 140, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I think that's just how it ends up happening. How he wins is uh, Dalby wins a decision. What's the Hannibal by... Silva by submission is plus 500. Like, that's kind of his only path, really. Uh, he, he doesn't have great striking. I think Dalby's going to take advantage of that. If you want to throw a little flyer on Silva by submission to plus 500, couldn't blame you for that. What's Claudio Silva's... Like, how, how many of his wins are by submission like if you look at his his history he's got nine submission wins out of 14 wins and he's able to find them from so many different vantage points and angles he lost to court mcgee and james Krause. those are two fights he probably should have lost actually has a win over leon edwards many years ago but uh that's probably the way i would approach it you take silva by by sub at plus 500 if you want some value but that uh that's probably it that's probably the uh the way that I would approach that one. Either take the uh, Dalby decision, although Dalby could find a finish too, so who knows. But I think the value would be on Silva getting a sub. And there is your breakdown for UFC Fight Night Blades versus Aspinall. We've got some interviews to get to. Let's start off with the two main event combatants. you got Tom Aspinall and Curtis Blades, who will join me. Patty Pimblett also joining me. Audio quality wasn't great. Video quality wasn't great. I'm doing my best to salvage it. So uh, hopefully uh, it is still a, a good listen. Unfortunate uh, that the quality was so poor. I couldn't even put it on our website. I, was, I, I feel sh- I, I, I said to the folks at the UFC that it looked like he was using one of those Logitech like spherical webcams from like the early 2000s. That's, that's the quality that we got out of that. 
Uh, also, Paul Craig on the show, as well as the uh, Canadian, Kyle Nelson. Plus, an interview with Usman Nur Nurmagomedov, who's competing in Bellator next week. Nice to catch up with Usman Nurmagomedov. The heir apparent to the Nurmagomedov throne, or perhaps that's Umar. Usman and Umar both uh, making big names for themselves. So why don't we dive right into the interviews. We'll start off with Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blades, Patty Pimblett, Paul Craig, Kyle Nelson, and Usman Nurmagomedov. Thanks for tuning into the TSN MMA show. Here we go. Second straight main event for Tom Aspinall in London, England. This time, Curtis Blades. Now, I was doing some research on you. You have had zero seconds of time on the bottom in the UFC, and you're facing the guy who has the most top control in the history of the UFC heavyweight division. Are you expecting that at some point in this fight, you're going to be put on your back and have to, you know, deal with what Curtis Blades does? Um, maybe, yeah. Like, if he wants to take me down and put me on my back, I'm happy with that because I'm good off my back as well. I got submissions from there. I got strikes from there. I got sweeps from there. Like, I'm all good. You want to put me on my back? Let's do it. No problem. Well, one of the beautiful things about your career is you're five fights deep, but you've had such little cage time for opponents to really study what you're good at. And it seems like we're just scratching the surface of seeing just exactly what you can do in there and for how long you can do it. Exactly, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm one big secret to this heavyweight division. I'm like, uh, nobody knows. Nobody knows. I'm a big secret. Nobody's got any idea. So uh, that's good. It works in my favor. It's actually also the shortest... Uh, Average fight time in heavyweight history belongs to you as well. So you're setting records right now, and I'm sure that you're hoping to keep those records intact by having shorter and shorter fights and keeping the secret alive. If I can get a 30-second win, I will. You better believe I'm going to get a 30-second win if that's possible. But if not, I'm prepared to go five rounds either way. So whatever, whatever. I'll take whatever comes to me. Well, with Curtis, you certainly don't have a shortage of time uh, for watching his fights. He has uh, a lot of cage time uh, as a result of his fighting style. So have you been able to kind of pick apart his weaknesses? I mean, his, his striking has improved leaps and bounds since the beginning of his career, but it's still not really at, at the absolute highest level just yet. Mm, maybe straight striking, no. But uh, he's very effective with his striking because he works his striking in tandem with his takedowns really well. Like, he threatens a takedown a lot, comes up with the strike in and vice versa. So, uh, he can still catch you. He can still catch you, that's for sure. And it takes one shot off any heavyweight, and that's it. The doctor's waking you up. So, uh, you've got to be ready for everything. So, how much of your camp is based on strategizing for a unique fighter in the heavyweight division like Curtis? And how much of it is just making sure that you're at your absolute best and having him strategize for you? Uh, well, let me start by saying... As it stands, no heavyweight can strategize for me because nobody knows what I'm all about. Nobody. I don't care what anybody says. No one's seen nothing yet. And uh, to answer the first bit of your question, uh, a lot of the camp has been based around Curtis Blades. You know, I, I changed a lot up about my camp this time and I've made sure that every single session I've got a big body on the, on the mat to train with. Multiple big bodies, actually. And uh, guys who can hold me down in bad positions, guys who can exhaust me. Uh, multiple training partners in bad positions, in positions that Blade likes and, you know, working the striking and techniques that he likes to do with the stand-up as well. So, yeah, everything has been based around um, specifically beating Curtis Blades for the last 10 weeks of my life. All right, so you mentioned that it's a secret. So I'm going to take your word for it. People are saying, if people say, 
wait until Tom Aspinall is in blank position, or this happens to Tom Aspinall, and then we'll see what he's really about. What do you think that you would surprise people with that they perhaps have doubts about in terms of your game? Um, well, I've not, I've not shown barely any kicking yet. My kicking's a, a whole mystery. Um, part of that is because I've been carrying an injury for a long time, which is now better. And I can, I can kick. I can use my lower body a lot more than I have been using. Um, I think my, you know, getting up off the bottom and sweeps off my back are really, really good that no one's seen anything of. Um, my clinching from standing, tie clinch, sweeps from standing, stuff like that. You know, all, all kinds of different, you know, spinning attacks. I've not used any spinning attacks yet. Um, all kinds of different stuff. All kinds of different stuff. Uh, I've not really shown barely anything of what I can do yet. Well, if you do end up on your back against Curtis Blaze, I think we're going to learn a lot about you because there's nobody else in the heavyweight division that can do what he does. So if you're able to escape what he throws at you, I think that everybody else is going to know that that's probably something that they won't have a lot of success with. Well, Curtis Blaze has fought a lot of strikers and a lot of the heavyweight division doesn't have much grappling game. Let's put it that way. A lot of the heavyweight division doesn't have technical striking game. They can throw bombs, they can knock you out, but a lot, a lot of them don't really know how to strike properly in, in terms of defence and footwork and, and uh, movement and setting traps and stuff like that. A lot of the heavyweights can't do this stuff. Like the, the beginners at that kind of stuff, they're just big, lumbering guys who if they hit you, you get dire consequences. So, um, yeah, the, the, there is that factor as well. Do you think that you approach the sport differently than other heavyweights? You talk about how a lot of them are kind of lumbering. They have heavy hands. They can rely on that uh, as, as their primary weapon and, and probably kind of rest on their laurels when it comes to that. But you approach the game more as an athlete, as this is the sport that you want to be the absolute best at rather than being a great fighter. You want to be a great sportsman. Do you think that gives you an advantage in a, heavy, in a division like the heavyweight division? Exactly, yeah. I'm constantly asking myself questions. I'm constantly looking for answers for the questions and I feel like a lot of these heavyweights like they knock a few people out and and they're like they're happy with it they think that's it job done finished product yep I can knock people out and I'm just going to do that but what goes on when that when you can't knock people out because it, it can't happen every time and I'm looking to be uncomfortable in training camp like I'm looking to improve in training camp each and every day I'm trying different stuff different styles working different coaches different training partners going to different gyms different countries even to get the right training so uh, yeah I'm constantly seeking out answers to the questions that I've got have you brought anybody in specifically to emulate Curtis Blades yep yep I've uh, so I've been going over to Holland to spar with the best uh, kickboxers in the world been sparring Rico Verhoeven who's a tremendous kickboxer well, literally the best kickboxer in the world um, at his gym. And they've got a couple of great wrestlers who came over from Belgium to help me out, holding me down in different positions. I've been going up to uh, Sunderland, training with Paul Craig up there and Phil DeFries and a couple of other big uh, grappling heavy guys. And, you know, just just working a lot of different bad positions and, and working on a lot of weaknesses as well as working on my strengths as well. So, yeah, everything has been based around Curtis Blade this camp. What's it like driving to the gym knowing you're going to have to spar with Rico Verhoeven that day? Like, to me, that's, there's nothing really more terrifying than that. He's the king of kickboxing. He's an, absolutely the elite of the elite when it comes to striking. Yeah, I mean, I like to be uncomfortable. I like, like I said, I like to try and answer the questions that I've got about, about myself. And uh, 
Rico's a good guy. Rico's a good guy. So, you know, he's not trying to kill me too bad in sparring. Um, but, you know, this is heavyweight sparring. Things can uh, hurt. Things are painful, uh, especially if someone with kicks like Rico, like his legs are absolutely ginormous. So a few, a few of his kicks to the uh, to the body doesn't feel too good. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to learn. You know what I mean? I, I want to be putting, you know, it's pointless me going sparring someone that I can beat up all the time. What's the point in that? Yeah, I mean, like Rico Verhoeven could probably be a world-class athlete in whatever sport he did. I mean, the guy's just built like yes. an absolute tank. But what did you learn about yourself sparring with a guy like that? Uh, well, I went over a little bit for my last camp as well. But this time I spent like a good, you know, I went over a few times. And I learned about myself that I can compete with the elite. And I learned that I also have an elite mindset. And I know what it takes to be an elite fighter and be around elite fighters. So, yeah, that's good. Curtis has been saying that the winner of your fight is likely going to be facing the winner of Cyril Ghan and Tai Tuivasa. Do you believe that that, that is the case, that that's who your next opponent's going to be? I don't know. I'm not a UFC matchmaker. Whatever Curtis says. If Curtis says that's true, then it probably is. I don't know. What do I know? I'm not bothered. I just want to fight Curtis. That's it. Do you pay attention to the rest of the division, or are you just focused on whatever the task in front of you is? Mate, when, I, when I've got a fight, I'm thinking about nobody else other, other than the guy I'm fighting. Curtis Blades is my 100% focus right now. Couldn't care less about the other guys in the division. Literally, couldn't care less. You told a great story to BT. Uh, to Adam Catterall, that you were in the back and you heard the, the crowd roar during the last event and you realized that they were, they were cheering for you entering the building. Like they showed the, the clip of you entering the building. Uh, what did that do to you mentally? When you, when you hear that and you see that kind of support, how do you, A, kind of block that out because you also want to not put that kind of pressure on yourself, but B, you also kind of want to embrace it? Oh, no, I definitely I don't want to block it out. I want to embrace it because uh, this is my dream. This is my absolute dream. That's what I dreamed of when I started this sport. I want to. I want to have twenty thousand home fans cheering my name. Like this is. Uh, this is what. This is what it's all about for me. I'm not trying to fight in front of nobody. Like I've done that enough times. I don't want to do that no more. Like I want to um, enjoy this sport and have you know, all my countrymen and, and friends and family there enjoying it with me. So, if I can do that, that's that's amazing. So I'm trying to embrace this thing. Well, the UK has big crowds for, you know, football and concerts and things like, you know, you look at like Glastonbury Festival and uh, a lot of events and stadiums. Do you think the UFC would translate in that kind of environment? Or do you think the O2 is kind of the perfect place to have an event? I think it would definitely translate. It's a ma- the MMA and UFC especially is massive at the moment in this country. Like, us fighters can't walk down the street without getting stopped. Like, um, we have such a, a growing fan base and it's becoming more and more mainstream now, especially with the with the home events, the second second one this year, like it's it's getting absolutely massive and people are really finally now obviously with Bispin and everything, like that was a big boom then and now it's like the second wave of a of a UK boom. We've got so many good fighters here and uh, I think now it's like the UK's time to, you know, show everybody what we're all about. That momentum keeps rolling. If you end up fighting for a heavyweight championship or something along those lines, like that, that's basically tailor-made for a stadium show in the UK, right? I mean, you're going to have that kind of support. I think so. I think uh, one day, one day it's going to happen. You know, I've got another 10 years left in this sport. So one day in the next 10 years, yeah, I would say that's definitely going to happen for sure, yeah. Well, it seems that's your approach. Let's look at what's in front of you. Let's conquer that uh, mountain and then climb the next one. Thanks for your time, Tom. Always appreciate it. You're in the main event this weekend. UFC Fight Night, Aspinall versus Blades.
It's another main event for Curtis Blades, this time in London, England, against Tom Aspinall. It's your second fight in Europe, but this is obviously home soil for Tom Aspinall. You've mentioned in the past, you don't even hear the audience when you go out there, so this doesn't really mean anything to you? It's just another fight? Yes, sir. Just another fight. Um, you know, like you just said, I can't hear anything, so I, I can't decipher specific insults or whatever they, the, the audience might be spewing. So it really doesn't bother me. Like we could be fighting anywhere, like anywhere. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Have you been received in the city so far? Have you just been walking around and people have been leaving you alone? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Even if there was someone out there that had beef with me, what are they going to do? <laughs> They're not going to walk up on me and say, hey, you suck. I haven't met a fan that balls it yet. So. I think they'll shoot a power double and, and hope for the best. I, I highly doubt it, but if they do, I'd, I'd be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully your opponent, Tom Aspinall, will be ready for it. He has spent actually zero seconds on his back so far in the UFC. Do you guarantee that that changes on, uh, on Saturday night? No, I'm, I, might not use, I'm, I might not need to use my wrestling. Like. Um, I didn't need my wrestling against Junior Dos Santos. I didn't eat it against the last guy. So I I won't guarantee it, but it is an option. Like, if I want to put it on the ground, it will go to the ground. You showed off your striking in the last fight against Chris Dawkins. It was uh, really a one-way fight for you in, in terms of the striking. You look fantastic. How, how high do you think your striking level has gotten over the last couple of years? I, you know, I, I've spoken to your coaches, and back when you first came to them, I, Vinny Lopez said you were at like a zero. And, and then when yeah. I spoke to him a couple of years ago, you were at like a seven. Where would you say you're at now? I would say I'm at a solid eight. Like, there's a lot more I understand about striking, like the angles and going from south part to ortho, knowing what punch to throw, when to throw it, and sometimes when to break rules. There are certain rules that you can break, and there are other rules that you that you never break. So just on the 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 difference between the two of them and just everything else that's involved. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot, a lot of growth since I started to work with Vinny. Who do you think is the best all-around striker in the heavyweight division? I mean, you've seen Francis has big power, of course. Um, Chris Dawkins has great boxing, who you've been in there with as well. Is there anybody that you say has the best striking in the division? I mean, when you say best, it's got to be the guy who has the most wins using using striking. So I guess that would go to Francis. But if you're saying who's got the most creative and like either style that people would like to emulate and people would go ooh and ah for, I would probably say still gone. And John Jones will be up there, but you're not convinced that he's going to be a heavyweight until he actually enters the octagon, correct? When it happens, yeah, that's when I'll say the heavyweight because according to a lot of people online, he's been a heavyweight now for almost three years, but I haven't seen an action on a scale, so I can't speak on it. You made a very astute observation that uh, Cyril Ghosn is taking on Tai Tuivasa in uh, about a month's time. So you're expecting to face the winner of that fight if you get your hand raised on Saturday? Yeah, it seems pretty 
self-explanatory. I, pretty easy. If I was a matchmaker, yeah, it makes the most sense. Do you have a preference of who you'd rather face? Because, of course, Tai Tuivasa's got big power, and we saw Cyril Gunn have trouble with Francis Ngannou's wrestling. I don't have a preference. I can take either one of them down, and they both present unique issues. Cyril Gunn has terrific uh, management of distance and uh, range, and he has every kick in the book. He has side kicks, lead kicks, axe kicks, question mark kicks. That's, that's a lot to deal with. And yeah, like you said, Takui Vasa, this is the top five. Like everyone's scary, so there isn't like an easy matchup. I that comes from boxing a lot of boxers like to pick easier matchups in mma there's no easier matchup so there's no use like you trying to hide from a guy and i don't do that so yeah i would fight either of them i spoke to tom aspinall probably about an hour ago and he made a really good point as well he's barely fought in the ufc i mean four first round finishes one early second round finish and he feels that people don't really know just how good he is. They, they don't know exactly what he brings to the table in full. Do you agree with that? And if so, is it more difficult to train for a guy like that? I, maybe for other people, I, I mean, I guess I do agree. We don't know, but that's how I approach almost all my opponents. I don't really watch film. I didn't know anything about Chris Dawkins. All I know about... Sarginio is that he hits hard. I didn't know anything about what punches he likes and his stance. And I, I don't care what my opponents do. I worry about me. The only opponent I knew what they did and I had seen highlights was Mark Hunt and Junior Dos Santos. And that's just because I've been fans of them so so long. But yeah, I've seen highlights. I, I know what they do. I know what they like. But I don't train specifically for anybody. I just train to go hard for five rounds yeah that, that kind of leads me to my next question is it just about training to be the best Curtis Blades like you, you almost yeah. don't worry what people have to bring to the table because they know what you're going to bring to the table exactly I'm not I mean I, I do always want to grow I always do want to add to my cool belt but that's just me focusing on me I'm not adding a specific tool or a specific opponent I when I'm doing, when I'm growing, I'm growing for me, just to be the most complete version of myself. You're still only 31, and heavyweights stay in the game into their late 30s, sometimes 40s. Are you expecting to stay in the game for that long? Um, definitely not into my 40s. No, I'm not. But I could see another seven, eight years. Yeah. And the reason why I ask is um, I spoke to, uh, to Paul Craig, and he wants to have the most submissions in um, the history of the light heavyweight division. In terms of takedowns, you're 28 ahead of the next guy, who's Cain Velasquez. Um, what number do you think you need to get to for that to be basically an unbreakable record among heavyweights? I think it already is unbreakable, but my, my goal has always been to get to 100. I wanted to catch up to GST. Now, I may or may not make it. That depends on the injuries and how many more fights I can get, yada, yada, yada. But the path I'm on right now, I do believe is uh, uh, it's realistic. I can 
get a 100 before I retire. And I'm guessing that you don't believe there's a heavyweight on the planet that's going to be able to to beat that. <laughs> no, no, I think the the record is the only one. The only two heavyweights that could have ever done it was Velasquez and Daniel Cormier. So, and they're both retired. So, I think it's good. Yeah. And Cormier spent much of his career at light heavyweight as well, so he wasn't able to rack yeah. up those kind of numbers. Yeah. That works also in my favor. Yeah, half his takedowns were light heavyweight, yeah. All right. Well, like I mentioned, you're 31. When all said and done, you might have that record. You might have a, a couple championship title defenses underneath your belt. you got a lot of time left in the game, and you continue your journey this Saturday against Tom Aspinall in the main event of UFC Fight Night. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Curtis. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's only one Patty the Batty, and he is competing this weekend at UFC Fight Night in London against Jordan Levitt. Very interesting opponent for you because I think you guys have a lot in common in terms of your submission games, your flexibility. Tell me about how he's a unique opponent for you. Yeah, he's got a unique personality life, hasn't he? He's, uh, he's a bit weird, but he's not as weird as me, lad. I'm weirder than him. Um, he's got a good few submissions on his record, but mainly against crabs outside of the UFC. And I just can't wait to put a beat down on him on Saturday. When you visualize this fight, do you expect it to stay on the feet or at least try to keep it on the feet on your end? I think this is going to be on the feet for the entire fight, yeah. But if he tries to take me down, it's, it ends pretty quick. And do you think on the feet he's basically got nothing for you? It seems like he's, you know, his, his best path to victory against just about anybody is to try to take them down or, or find a submission in a crafty manner. He's a very creative fighter. Yeah, it's the only thing he's got really is grappling and my grappling's better than his, so I'm not worried in the slightest because wherever the fight goes, I'm better than him. I've got better wrestling than him, better jiu-jitsu than him, better striking than him. I'm going to keep this fight on the feet and I'm going to knock him out. I mentioned flexibility because I feel like people don't give you enough credit for that. Um, you can take your leg and stick it behind your head. I saw you do this in a recent interview. Um, is this something that people underestimate about your game? Yeah, yeah, it is. To be fair, I use my flexibility a lot. People don't really realize how much I use my flexibility, but it's all good. Let them sleep on it. I don't mind. Liverpool is about four hours from London. How do the people of London see people from Liverpool? Because I'm sure there are a lot of scousers that are coming into town for these fights. It's kind of two different countries almost, the people of London and the people of Liverpool. Yeah, it is. Um, people from Liverpool aren't very liked in the, the rest of the country, to be honest. No reason for it. It's just people are just knobheads. Do you think the reason actually is that you guys have a, an underdog mentality? Like I, I th think a lot of people, when they think of Liverpool, they think of kind of people that that put on their hard hats, that are blue collar individuals that just have uh, you yeah, know, kind of big dreams. We're working, we're working class people that that dream big and want to go further in life, and we call people in London Southern Fairies, lad. So the people of London, that's, I guess, from a Liverpool perspective, those are kind of the, you know, the, like, urban people that they, you know, that you don't really respect? No, it's not that we don't respect them. It's just they don't respect us. So why should we show them any respect? And from a political standpoint, you've been talking a lot about how you kind of have a disdain for the government. Is that something that you've always kind of had in the back of your mind, is, is being anti-establishment and uh, against... Uh, the monarchy and uh, and the government hier uh, hierarchy? 
Yeah, that's just that's just a scout thing, lad. We've the 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 establishment has tried to ruin our city before. The it tried to give us a managed decline. So you know, why should we support any sort of government or establishments when he tried to break us down and ruin our city? Does that apply to like the labor movements and, and other political parties as well? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're pro labor, but they're all they're all part of the same brush basically nowadays. There's a is in charge of the Labour Party, which is quite embarrassing. Well, it seemed like under I don't know that much about English politics, but it seemed like under Tony Blair, the Labour Party, like you mentioned, did become kind of establishment. Has it gone in the other direction at all? Yeah, yeah, it's mainly Tory now, Tory, Tory party leading. And in another interview I saw you do, you you were hoping to go to Glastonbury, but you were unable to because I guess it was three weeks ago during your camp. So what made you decide that you couldn't attend? I mean, you could have gone. It's music. You could go and enjoy yourself. Because I got weight to make, lad. I couldn't take five days off training. Would have had to, well, at least three and a half, four days off training. Because I train, start on a Wednesday, go on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I train on a Sunday and have a rest day Saturday. So I wouldn't have been able to go. couldn't miss four days. And then you come back Monday. So I would have been missing five days saying a lad I just couldn't go I'll get flew in in a helicopter or something Who are you most disappointed about missing at Glastonbury? If you could only see have seen one of the acts that played who would it be? My good friend Jamie Webster he was who I was most disappointed about not seeing because it was the first ever time doing Glastonbury and I, I, I missed it yeah, He's a uh, scouser like yourself kind of like a Billy Bragg type act he's more of a yeah like yeah. A, a guitar playing singer songwriter yeah, I don't know what Billy Bragg is like, but whatever. You you don't know Billy Bragg? Nah, who's he? He's an old school, like a uh, British working class music yeah, musician. Probably pretty similar. I don't know. I don't think he's from Liverpool, but uh, you might want to check him out. I think you might like him. Ever heard of Billy Bragg, then? Yeah, he's heard of him, but he doesn't really know who he is. Well, I I think he's like Jerry Cinnamon, who's a Scottish fellow, who's a singer. So with your, you, you talk about doing visualization. How do you visualize this fight ending most of the times when you're visualizing it? I visualize it ending in like the first 20 seconds when I step in with punches and knock them clean out. And do you think that's how it plays out? Do you think it's going to be a very early, like very short night for Jordan? Yeah, I think it doesn't make it out the first round. I'll be very disappointed in myself if he makes it out the first round. Because I've got to show everyone there's levels to this, lad. He comes into fights just not wanting to lose. He'll, he doesn't try and win. You know what I mean? He doesn't come forward and try and finish a fight. Even when he's on top of people, he just sits there and doesn't do nothing with it. Like that reverse triangle, he got one of the luckiest submissions I've ever seen. And it was on a fat featherweight who'd been twisted by, um, what's his face? What's his face who does the twisters, lad? Wait below. Camo shorts. Bryce Mitchell. You know what I mean? That kid, if he reversed triangle, was absolutely terrible. And people talk about my opponents. Ridiculous. Matt Wyman, who should be in a retirement home. And then he couldn't beat Trey. He couldn't finish Trey Ogden. Come on, lad. He's not on my level. And for, for visualization long term, like in one year from now, where do you see yourself at in your career? I'll have, including the leather fight, I'll have won another three fights. 
know what I mean? I'll be fine again before the end of the year, probably a pay-per-view in Vegas. Then I'm getting married next May, so I'll get a fight in before that, in about March or April, and then I'm taking the summer off. And how about the rest of this year? We're, we're midway through. Do you expect to fight one more time in 2022 after this? Yeah, yeah. I'll be, as I say, then I'll be fighting in Vegas before the back end of the year in November, December. Probably Vegas on a pay-per-view. What about New York? Does that interest you? It looks like New York's going to be November, and then the final pay-per-view of the year will be in Vegas. No, that New York doesn't interest me because of the tax, man. I don't fancy getting taxed that much. That's not, not what I'm about. I'll fight in Vegas and get taxed less. Well, that sounds like a good plan from a financial planning standpoint. Thanks for this, Patty. Appreciate you. Uh, best of luck on Saturday against Jordan Levitt. He is nearly three years unbeaten. He is Paul Craig, and I'm wearing the, the, Scottish, the colors of the Scottish flag. It's just kind of a coincidence, but uh, I'm noticing that as I speak with you. You hear a lot of these other fighters being mentioned in the title mix. A win over Volkan Uzdemir gets you there. Am I right? I believe so. I would like to have thought that a win over Krylov would have, been, uh, would have had me in that mix, but I think I just had to do a little bit more, and I think... The man that's standing in front of me is Volcano Ustamir. And in him, we've got a dangerous opponent. We've got a guy with power in his hands, good takedown defence, good cage wall work, but I believe that my skill set just in these areas is much better than him. I think it's also about leaving openings, and uh, Volcano Ustamir doesn't leave that many of them, but he has, in the past, you know, left one here or there. Is that what you're going to be looking for mostly, is trying to find just that one little opening where he gives you a chance to, uh, you know, lock him into a submission? That's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking to out-wrestle him. We're looking to take him down. We're looking to take him into my world and then apply your game plan. Apply your game plan. Our game plan, uh, it's, it's no um, shock to anybody. It's to get him to the mat and submit him. And it's to be done very, very early. Ideally, I would like to have a, another submission uh, via triangle on the record because that would then take me three victories in London and three triangle submissions in the, 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 the country. You're like a bigger Paul Sass. I remember Paul Sass back uh, in the early days of when all these uh, the European fighters were coming out to the scene. That was his move, the Sass angle. Yeah, Sass angle. Uh, you know, I'm, I've, I, triangle's very good for me, um, but in these positions, I'll take any submission I can get. Ideally, the triangle, you get that heart trick, but any submission. Um, Volkan leaves him, leaves his back open, leaves his chin high, and uh, there's opportunities for that back take to, to get that submission there. Now I look at your record, and uh, the Jamal Hill fight was registered as a TKO, even though I, I believe he was injured as a result of uh, a submission hold. Your win against yep. Shogun Hua was considered a TKO, even though he, he tapped the strikes. If those were both considered submissions, you'd have the most submissions in the history of the light heavyweight division right now. I'm, is that a goal that you're hoping to have by the time you retire? Yep. Yeah, 100%. I'm looking for, uh, I think I'm up there with most triangles as well. I think I might be in like the top three. Um, so I'm looking to get that, looking to get the most submissions in light heavyweight uh, as well. These are all things that lead me, uh, when I leave this sport, they're always going to stay there. Um, because what I want to do is by the time I leave this sport, it's had more submissions that are unachievable for people to get. Yeah, so it's not just about breaking the record. It's about breaking the record to a point where nobody's going to be able to beat it. That's exactly it. That's exactly what I'm chasing. I'm chasing to be uh, the most submissions and the most triangles. So although I'm not chasing just a triangle, I'm just, it'd be cool to catch him. What do you think that number is? 
Like, if, if there's a number that you're going to hit that no other light heavyweight is going to be able to beat, right now you're, I can you're at, double. what, six right now? And then Glover's at seven? Yeah, I think it needs to be, I think it needs to be double digits. I think you need to be looking for this some between 12 to 13. That's what I'm looking for. And with me saying that, what that says is I'm in this sport for a good couple of years left. Well, that was what I was going to ask next. Because you've mentioned retirement in the past, but right now it's not something that uh, I guess is on your mind if you're looking to get 12, 13 submissions. Definitely not. You know, um, I've, I've found a new lease of life in the world of MMA. I had a bit of slump um, last year after the Jamal Hill victory. And it was due to the fact that I had a pullout. Um, I had a pullout and then I had an issue with uh, a fight, the fight being cancelled. So that was two fights I should have had um, and it never happened. And then I took a bit of a strop and I was like, right, I can't do this anymore. I can't do a full year of training. Because it was, it was like back-to-back camps. I'd done three fight camps without a fight, uh, leading into uh, Krylov. And it's not great in the body. So it was good just to have that fight and get it out of the way and then get the love back for the, 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 the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's very important. You know, every single UFC fighter has had that kind of moment where it's like, can I continue doing this? Even Alexander Volkanovsky, I think a lot of people think is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. He said there was a day where he drove to the gym. This was before he was in the UFC. Sat in his car and just drove home. He said, you know, I just can't do this right now. I can't do this anymore. And now, of course, look at where he is. So those kind of things, I don't, th- I think, speak to someone's character. Is if you're able to continue doing it, even after having that moment of, of doubt. Yeah, I think you need them. I think you need to constantly be checking yourself and making sure you want to be in this sport because it, it, it'd be easy enough just to keep coming in and getting a paycheck from the UFC, take money and leaving, not caring about the victory, the loss or the draw. But I think you need to be fueled in this sport. And I think uh, for safety reasons, I think you need to have like some sort of goal. And for me, the goal is going to be uh, getting that gold. And uh, ultimately, the first goal needs to be to, beat, uh, was to, be to get that gold. You beat... Jamal Hill, uh, you know, just over a year ago, he's already in, starting to be in main events again, it seems. When are yeah. we going to see Paul Craig in a main event? You know what? I've got a plan in my head, uh, and the plan is not looking past Ozdemir, but I get the, the, the victory submission over Ozdemir, and I do it in a, a, a great fashion. And then my, my friend Alexander Gustafsson, he gets his victory, and the two years we fight in Sweden, five rounds main event I like the sound of you in a main event you know I'm someone who of course covers all these events and I'm sure the people on the, on yep. the, in Europe love the idea because you've never been to a decision so having you in a main event yep. get, gives us a little bit of an earlier night which we, I, I'm sure would appreciate yeah I know especially especially the guys in Europe who are staying up to crazy o'clock in the morning to watch this so if you're a Paul Craig fan and I'm in a main event you're getting an early you're getting, you're getting to bed early but I believe that the, I need to do a five round fight and I believe that it's going to be... I've trained with Gus many years ago, uh, and I've got a lot of love and respect for Gus. Uh, I think he's an amazing athlete. I think uh, he's an amazing uh, addition to the sport, and I'm glad to see him back. He is only 34, the same age as myself. He's got a wee bit more miles in the clock than me, but I believe that's the fight that's going to give me the five rounds, and I believe that um, there's a great opportunity for me in the fighting of Gustafsson. Do you ever stay up late and watch the fights, you know, in Scotland? Yeah, there's, there's every once in a while I'll stay up late or I'll set the alarm to get up early and watch the fights, but it's um, it's really, really hard and then you need to get up the Sunday morning, early bells, before you check your social media and then go and watch the UFC on repeat. 
it's what I used to do with Japanese MMA. Like I, we used to have, I guess it was HDNet it was called, and we, I would record yeah. the dream events. And then I, I just, again, like, like you said, stay off social media and watch them in the morning. It's kind of the only way you can do it. I know social media is a nightmare when it comes to that, especially like you're looking forward to this fight and it's like maybe uh, Glover versus uh, Yari and all you see is Glover lying in a heap and Yari getting his hand raised and you're like, God, shouldn't you have went on social media? Yeah, for sure. And it's, it, it's hard to do. It's hard to keep off of it uh, whenever you yeah. want to. And hey, you know what? I've got to say, this is a gift for the fans of Europe. It's the second straight card that's in prime time. Like last week there was prime time. This week's prime time. It's yeah. a good time to be a European UFC fan for a change. Yep. Yeah. All that does is it, uh, it, it improves the sport and it gets more people in watching it because it's a reasonable time. Rather than staying up late or watching it on a Sunday, as I said to you before, this sport has to be enjoyed by fans together. <clears throat> you standing with your, with your mates or... You watch it in the pub with a cold beer. This is how this sport's meant to be watched. It's meant to be watched in groups. It's not meant to be watched with you, yourself, with a cup, cup of coffee on Sunday morning. Well, how hard is it to avoid the cold beer right now out there in London? I hear there's a heat wave coming through. And uh, from what I understand, there's not a lot of air conditioning uh, in, in uh, th- those parts. No screen doors like we have here in North America. No. So it's probably been uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a, of a culture shock. Yeah, it's, um, everybody's complaining about heat. Unless it's 36 degrees on the button and uh, like the the body temperature, then everybody starts to starts to complain. But it's when it's just that wee bit too warm outside, then people just moan. And then we're like, play, like we're playing, praying for rain because we we need it here. There's been like fires on the the sides of motorways. There's been uh, the tracks on railways have been bending. Uh, airport tarmac's been melting it's just we're not we're not designed for heat we're designed for cold in the uk but it's good for weight cutting you just go for a jog yeah there'll be no jogging needed you just need to open up the window and just let the heat in <laughs> that's all it's all required to get a sweat yep that's it it's, it's that warm here it's uh, it's very uncomfortable and as you're saying the lack of air conditioning is uh it's, it's definitely noted any sort of shop you go to or even in the hotel for you it's uh it's crazy hot. But then when you go on holiday and you go to places like Spain or you go to places like Abu Dhabi and the heat's through the roof, it doesn't bother you because you're on holiday. What's the temperature there right now? Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit overcast today, but it's still sitting in the high 20s. So high, because t- so we're in Canada, we're in like the high 30s today. I know, and you see you're just showing off there, it's like... It's like Mine's is bigger than yours. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying Canada's associated with being a cold country, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're sweating up here as well. No, the, U, the UK, like, as I said, unless it's like 26 on the button, then we, we start to moan. It's too hot if it's like hits above 27, and if it if it's, hits underneath that, it's too cold. There's, 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 there's no Goldilocks only for us. And in Scotland, it's the same? It's, it's pretty hot over there right now? Um, in Scotland, uh, we left there yesterday, and it was sitting about 27 to 30, somewhere in that range, and we had rain as well. Classic Scotland. Oh, it would rain too. <laughs> well, at least, at least yeah. it's staying on brand. Yeah, I know, I know that, and it was like, uh, I, I was sitting out the the back with the family having a coffee before I left uh, in the morning, and then it started raining, and I was like, this is typical Scotland. Even when we get good, good weather, it's still relatively shitty. And how popular are you in Scotland? Are you able to walk around without being, you know, without being noticed, or is is the UFC big there? It's, yeah, you know, the sport's still relatively young in the UK. Never mind in Scotland. Scotland's still a, a couple of months behind. 
with regards to the UK's getting on board. But um, I'm getting I'm getting noticed a lot more. Uh, people are appreciating MMA a lot more. Uh, and these shows, like the London card, the card at the weekend with Ortega, the card that we're going to have in France in the next couple of weeks, all these kind of things are going to help push Scottish and UK MMA. So in that, I'm hoping that I get, uh, I get a lot more love from fans. Well, I'm sure another bonus will go a long way for you, and it's a, it's a big fight. Volkan Uzdemir, former title challenger. I uh, look forward to seeing you do your thing this Saturday. appreciate your time. No, it's an absolute pleasure, man, and uh, hopefully we're going for that third triangle in the first round. Kyle Nelson is back in action. It's been a minute since you've been in the UFC octagon, now coming in with a full camp in the lightweight division. Are we finally going to get to see what you're truly capable of in the UFC? Yeah, absolutely. You know, fighting at 145 before is always a difficult weight cut. And then obviously sometimes taking fights on short notice kind of hindered by performance. Whereas now we've had a full six-week training camp. And uh, cutting down to 155 has meant less time spending losing weight and more time, you know, sharpening my skills. And speaking of which, in terms of sharpening your skills, you've been off for about two years. How much better do you think you are now than you were the last time you fought in the UFC? It's night and day. I've, I've continued to improve every aspect, you know, that I was already good at, you know, some of my striking, wrestling, jits and stuff. Um, so, yeah, you're going to see not only the skills I have before, but new and improved skills. And now you're going to see me with, you know, the kind of the cardio and the endurance to maintain it for up to three rounds. If I'm not mistaken, you've opened your own gym in Muskoka. Am I right on that? Or, or is, is that just the gym you train at there? Uh, no, yeah, I opened uh, a gym called Muskoka Martial Arts with a business partner, Mike Fox. Uh, we opened that back in December. And how's that been going for you? I imagine that there's uh, a lot of people that, you know, locally will train there, and then people that come up for the summer probably want to train there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we opened in December, and uh, in January, kind of everything got shut down for a bit, but then in February, we we're kind of back open, and uh, yeah, it's been going great since then. Yeah, not, not exactly the best time to open a gym, but I mean, it, it seems like you got, you got in on the tail end of uh, all, all the closures and all of that. Yeah, it looks like everything's in the clear now. So yeah, we've, uh, we've been growing since February, and then September's usually a big month for martial arts gyms, so I'm excited to see uh, you know, more growth then. And how much of your camp has been spent in, in Stony Creek with Crew Allen, and, and how much with the uh, Niagara Top Team crew? So I spend uh, usually like Monday to Friday, Monday to Thursday or Friday uh, down in Stony Creek. And then what I'll do is I'll, I'll do the morning session with Niagara Top Team and the evening session with the uh, host champions and then do my own strength and conditioning or cardio work uh, in between. Do you commute from Muskoka for every training session? Uh, no, I come down usually Sunday night and then I'll go back to Muskoka either Thursday or Friday night after training. Okay, I was going to say, you spend a lot of time in the car, if that's the case. What do you do on your commutes? Ah, nothing. Just just drive. Sometimes I listen to podcasts, maybe some Joe Rogan or something. But yeah, usually it's just, uh, you know, just try and get get back as quick as possible. Your, your opponent, Jai Herbert, he was in a, a pretty decent fight recently, a, like a, a war, I would say, against Ilya Topuria. Do you think that's an advantage for you, that he's turning it around so quickly? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he's been a little more active having just fought. Um, but watching that fight, obviously he took a pretty bad uh, knockout. So I don't think that's playing into his favor. 
Um, and I don't really think I have any ring rust. I've been, you know, training a lot, sparring uh, with new partners and stuff. So I don't feel like ring rust is going to be a problem for me. And yeah, I think his his last kind of knockout, you know, is going to probably catch up with him in this fight. Now, I'm sure we would have rather this card be in London, Ontario, rather than London, England. However, you are undefeated in fights outside of North America. You've, trained, you've uh, traveled, or sorry, outside of uh, the U.S. or Canada. You, you, you fought in Mexico and you won there, and you also fought in Romania a couple times. How's this trip been for you uh, across the pond? It's been great. Um, you know, England isn't, you know, that different from, you know, kind of Canada or North America. So that's nice. Whereas, you know, Mexico was obviously there was a bit of a language barrier and, and uh, you know unfamiliar territory but yeah uh london's been great you know i i can talk to everybody you know we've got kind of the same stores and stuff so yeah it's been uh, been super smooth and who's going to be in your corner this weekend so we have my head coach Cruelin, and then we have mike malak coming out to help corner me it's great that Mike made the trip. So he's been training a lot more in Canada, I- I've noticed, uh, rather than with Team Alpha Male. He's still part of that team as well. But it seems like, you know, you've probably been getting a lot of good reps with him. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, spent a lot of time uh, for his last fight uh, in Canada. And then he's, you know, been back and forth a little bit. But I think the majority of his time has been here uh, in Canada. So, yeah, it's been great. Uh, you know, a great training partner for me. Uh, he's a little bit taller than me. So he's kind of closer to, to Jai's height. But I think Mike's got better striking, definitely has better wrestling and jits. So he's been a great training partner. I heard an interview you did with James Lynch. And there was no reason for you to not have fought in the UFC during this time away. Um, aside from, I guess, contractual, you were waiting on a contract from the UFC. So how uncertain was it that you were going to fight in the UFC again? Uh, I don't know. Like, um I was curious too. I know uh, after my last fight, we had talked to UFC and they said they really wanted me back. Um, and then we were just kind of waiting and wondering when that was going to be. And then, yeah, we were coming up to two years in September. So uh, we started messaging the UFC and being like, hey, you know, there was kind of rumors about that Toronto card. And then uh, once that kind of fell through, um, I was like, hey, you know, kind of what's going on? Are we going to get me a fight soon? If not, you know, can I go and compete in the regional scene? And then when you guys have an opening for me, I'll come back up. And that's when they let me know about UFC London. Yeah, because you had never been removed from the roster page. Were you still on, in the USADA testing pool and all that throughout this time? Yeah, yeah. So I still got tested uh, like six, seven times over the last, uh, you know, year and a half, two years. And uh, yeah, as far as I know, I was still on the roster and everything. Um, so yeah, just didn't have a, a formal contract. I'm curious how that works, because if your contract had expired, they can continue testing you and all of that during the time that I guess you're not under contract? I guess. <laughs> yeah, they did. So <laughs> I, don't, I didn't mind too much. Um, you know, I just have to keep the, the USADA, dat, uh, USADA app up to date. And um, yeah, I mean, they only come test me, you know, every other month or so, every couple months. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a little bit nicer when I know I've got a fight coming up. Yeah, I mean, it's not that you're not a clean athlete or anything along those lines. It's not what I'm trying to imply. It's more that you're not under contract to the UFC. They can still send people to knock at your door at any given time. That just seems odd to me. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was weird for me too, but trying to keep them happy so I could get another fight, and uh, here we are. So, Well, yeah, that's what it's all about. I mean, you want to be fighting in the big show, uh, and it's great to see you back. You're going to be competing this weekend against Jai Herbert. It's UFC Fight Night in London. Uh, thanks so much for doing this, Kyle. Appreciate your time.
Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, make sure everyone tunes in from Canada. You know, I'm only the only Canadian on the card uh, this Saturday, so make sure you turn in early and cheer me on. He is one of the top up-and-coming fighters in Bellator, and he has a very familiar last name. It's Usman Nurmagomedov. He's taking on Chris Gonzalez, Bellator 283. Now, Khabib just got into the UFC Hall of Fame. What did that mean to you and your team? Uh, yeah, obviously, we, the whole family was very happy for, for Khabib that he achieved, uh, that he entered the UFC Hall of Fame. It's uh, the highest achievement you can receive in our sport, I believe. It's like Nobel Prize, no, Nobel Award. So yeah, we are happy and he was working hard and dedicated and sacrificed a lot to achieve this. Well, you're working your way towards a legendary career as well. With a win over Chris Gonzalez, you'll be 15-0. and 0. How soon do you think you'll, you can fight for the title in Bellator? It's not exactly the most stacked division at lightweight uh, in the promotion. So do you feel like a title fight could be on the horizon by the end of 2023? No. Uh, I believe I will get closer to, for the title for sure. Like I will move uh, high in the rankings, but uh, I'm not sure if I will get the title shot next. It's question to the organization to the Bellator. What are some of your long-term goals for your career? I, I know Habib retired at kind of an earlier age. Are you looking to do the same? Uh, I wouldn't say Habib retired early. Uh, I believe it was perfect timing uh, because uh, you have to, the fighter have to retire when he feel like he's done that he doesn't have any fire any any he doesn't want to to do it anymore. Uh, I'm not sure when I will retire and how long I will fight. Uh, I I would like to retire as Habib uh, undefeated as a champion, but I cannot guarantee what happen next. But for the next five six years, I think I will be fighting. I saw a video from when uh, Anatomy of a Fighter was in Dagestan and everybody was playing a game. It was like basketball combined with grappling. Who is the best at this game? As single player, the most technical, I would say, Islam Mahachev. But as a team, it depends. Every day we're switching the players, switching the teams. So it depends. But single player, definitely not Islam Mahachev. Who is your favorite basketball player ever? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the NBA. I don't follow much, but uh, my favorite player for today is Stephen Curry. Uh, Steph Curry, okay. And uh, tell me about your opponents. Uh, Chris Gonzalez, he's 7-1, and one, seemed to have a very good resume. Yeah, Chris is go uh, good fighter. A tough opponent. Uh, I believe most of his fights uh, was in Bellator, so it's good, good, good challenge for me. I'm looking forward to it. I like that answer. We'll end on that. Thank you, Usman. Appreciate your time. Uh, Spasiba brat, and I will talk to you again soon. See you. You're welcome. welcome. You're welcome. And our final interview of the podcast is Ali Abdelaziz, as mentioned earlier, from Dominance MMA, manages so many of the top fighters in the sport. Gave me a lot of his time. He was, uh, he was on fire. I was very angry that Charles Oliveira was named the ESPN. Uh, sorry, was given the ESPY, rather, for the Mixed Martial Artist of the Year. He thought it should have gone to his client, Kamaru Usman. He gave me a lot of his time to explain why. So here's Ali Abdelaziz on the TSN MMA Show. I'm joined now by one of the top managers in the game, Ali Abdelaziz. 
of Dominance MMA, and you're a little bit angry right now. We found out that Charles Oliveira is the uh, ESPN MMA Fighter of the Year for 2022, and you think that perhaps one of your clients got robbed. Well, these, these people, this rigged. They rigged it to promote the fight. It's fake. You know, I, I think they rigged it. You know, let, let me go back a little bit about Kamaru Osman. Let me tell you, remind the people who Kamaru Osman is, right? Kamaru Osman, he beat Tyrone Woodley with a broken foot. He make it look easy. Tyrone Woodley was easy. After that, he fought Masvidal. He played with him. Played with him like ping pong. After that, Broke Cody, Cody jaw, uh, Cody, uh, Kobe Covington jaw. You understand? You know, he embarrassed him. After that, fought Masvidal again. You know, knocked his head off the moon. You know, uh, you know, I, we thought he did. We thought Kamara was going to go to jail, right? You know, the man, and after that, fought Gilbert. You know, Gilbert, one of the toughest guys in the division. He finished him, knocked him out. After that, fought Kobe again. Played with him. Played with him. And the man been pulling pay-per-view numbers after numbers after numbers. You know, the man about to break Chuck Anderson Silva's record. Next fight. You know, he, pound for pound, greatest fighter of all the time. is not even, not even close. Habib fought one time. He nominated, he was nominated fighter of the year. This year was coming, was knocked out. He come back and win. Nominated fighter of the year. Charles Oliveira. He almost lost in every fight. He borrowed the belt from Habib Kabat. Charles Alvaro was never the champion. He was never the champion. He didn't even make weight. How are you going to give a guy fight of the year? It doesn't make any sense. I think these people take it away from him. I think the people is done purposely. And I think everything is rigged. The whole sport is rigged. And the only thing Kamaru can control, go in there and keep making all these guys look easy you know leon edward next fight he's a nice guy but he's at the wrong time in the wrong place sorry leon edward next fight he's at the wrong time at the wrong place it's gonna make look easy because he didn't learn how to wrestle kamaru's gonna wrestle with him and we telling everybody the game plan and guess what he can't do nothing about it you know no disrespect i like the guy you understand Kamaru's the only guy in history can go fight 185 and you make it look easy. He can go right now, we'll go to light heavy, and this is what we want. After he handled Leon, and this is a Dana conversation, he go to light heavyweight, fight any of these guys, Yeri, Glover, Yan, whatever it is, and he's gonna make these guys look easy. How you think this, this guy's work all his life and you think it's away from him? Now, that's why I don't believe in any of these people who ever vote, who ever announce this. You know, suddenly you said he's the fighter of the year and after that, oh, he's fighting Islam Makhachev. You want it, you want, this is like a promotion too. You know, that's why I don't believe any of these people. I used to have faith. I have no faith in these people anymore. They rob Kamara Usman. You know, gladly he's going to get inducted in the rest of Hall of Fame by the NCAA end of the month. You know, they robbed this man. That's the hardest working man I ever see working the sport. He accomplished everything more than any other champion. And I manage Khabib, I manage Rashad, I manage Verdun. Kamar Osman has accomplished more things than anybody who was mentioned. 
You know what I'm saying? More than Anderson Silva, more than John Jones. You've seen all these guys have close fights. They get knocked out. They cheated. They didn't steroid. They've been blaming this man. He take EPO because black people this muscular. They're supposed to get tired. They're supposed to milk. This is what's going on here. That's why he have good conditioning. People accusing him because of his color. And I mean it. I mean it. You know? And it's just, honestly, I'm disgusted and I am mad. You know? we You give Charles Oliveira, he's the fighter of the year, right? You'll see. Islam Makachar is going to play with him. You know? I don't hate Charles Oliveira. I don't have any problem with him. But the man borrowed a belt. Habib let him borrow a belt for the last two years. And Islam Makachar is going to play with him. He's going to show him like he's an amateur. And we're going to see who's the fighter, real fighter of the year. They're going to show, they make a mistake. This man was not fighter of the year. Nothing personal. Now strictly business. Did it mean a lot to Kamaru to win that, to win the fighter of the year? Kamaru don't give a shit. It mean a lot to me. Because I know Kamaru, every fight, he taken six shots to be able to fight. Come, we're showing up to New York fighting Tyrone Woodley with a broken foot. He beat Tyrone Woodley with a broken foot. I'm telling you. I put down my kids. This man is full of fracture. You know? Uh, but it's okay. You keep doubting him. Keep doubting him. And he's going to keep everyone proving you wrong. You understand? I'm telling you something. You go up and beat 185 champion, 205 champion, and you make it look easy. Because none of these guys are on his level. He does that. He's the best ever. Right? Like Nobody's ever moved up two divisions. I mean, I know one of your other clients, Henry Cejudo, is trying to do that. But nobody's ever moved up two divisions, especially in the heavier weight classes, and won a championship like that. Like, I just don't think that anybody could deny him as being the greatest of all time if he were to do that. Because it would just be such a monumental feat for somebody to be able to move from 170 to 205, 35 pounds. I mean, for Cejudo, it's 20 pounds, right? From 25 to 45. But to move up 35 pounds... And win a title at light heavyweight, it would just be—it would be mind blowing, really. And he—I'm telling now, TSM, Kamara Osman will make it look easy. Whoever the champion at the time will make it look easy because he is this good. The only reason he's not in fight Israel because they're friends. That this dude Israel said, "I don't like him." I'm greedy. I like him. I think he's a great champion. But I think Kamara will beat him. You know? You know? I don't know how good friends these guys are. I'm not even going to talk about Israel because I think I don't like it. I like Israel, you know? But I think Kamaru beat him easy too. He'll get beat easy too. I don't know if even these guys have their phone numbers, you know? You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, Kamaru Osman, the greatest fighter ever walked to the planet in any sport because with the man physical condition, what he's been doing in the sport, nobody does and nobody will ever do. You know, you can bring anybody. Kobe, he, he lap in the division. Who's the number one contender now in the welterweight division after Leon? It's nobody. It's don't have one. UFC do not have number one contender. You know, you tell me who's the number one contender. This is why I come out after this fight. It's a conversation. It's going to happen. But Leon Edward is our focus. Right now, he's our focus. Leon Edward is a great fighter. But he's at the wrong time, at the wrong place. I'm telling you, I went last week to Kamaru's camp. And the way I see him work, the way he looks, he looked like a 21 years old bull. He's, he's, gonna, 
is going to run through whoever in front right now. You know, if Francis Ngannou was not, was not the heavyweight champion of the world, I would have told you Kamaru beat him. But I don't, you know, Francis is different. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not a liar. You know, I believe Kamaru will beat everyone in a three-way division, 170, 185, or 205. And I got client at 170. I got blood. You have to show me. You can beat him. You know, show me something. You know, but nobody's showing nothing. The closest was Gilbert. You know, and we know what happened. And I love Gilbert. Gilbert is my brother. But I'm telling you something. He makes these guys look easy. So that's going to be the request is as soon as he beats Leon Edwards, once that happens, you're going to go to the UFC and say 205 is next for him. That's what he wants. It, it, it's no request. I think it's no, it's no such a thing as a request. It's a business. It's a business. But also, I know for sure Dana respect him. Sean, they respect the guy. You know what I'm saying? You know, when you see International Fight Week, you know, you see Kamaru doesn't put on this kind of performance. No disrespect to nobody. He doesn't sell 400 pay-per-views on International Fight Week. You understand? The man gets seven, 700,000 buys, million buys. And of course, he has to have the right dance partner. I think the light heavyweight champion is the right dance partner. But let's not disrespect Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is tough. He's good. He's a good man. He deserves it. Honestly, nobody deserves it. He's just the wrong time at the wrong place. That's it. And I just, I feel I'm disgusted by today. But I'm just telling you something. Islam Makhachab is going to play with Charles Oliveira like he's playing like ping pong. And you're going to see. You're going to see. So you believe that because they announced UFC 280 today, on the same day as Charles getting the, uh, the SB, that that's why they did that, I guess, today? This shit is rigged. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, that's how I feel. You know, and I, I know I sound crazy, and I'm crazy right now. You understand? But I, I mean it. I'm speaking from the bottom of my heart. I think the shit is rigged. I think the shit is rigged. How Charles Oliver, this man got dropped in every fight he ever fought. When the last time you see Kamaru Osman getting dropped and win a fight? When? I don't believe he's never. ever been dropped. Has he been dropped in a fight yet? Never. Never taken down, never dropped. That man never been taken down, never been dropped, barely lost any round. And the only close fight he had was Kobe. He come back and changed his life. He's changed his life. Kobe Covington will never be the same again. He will never be the same again. You understand? You know, you know, come on, come on, brother. Come on, this is not, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be a professional manager. I'm supposed to speak the way I speak. But now these people cross the line today. And I'm telling you something. Somebody have to pay. Leon Edward will pay. Light heavyweight champion will pay because we're going to show this world. He will show this world how good he is, how great this man is. You understand? We will show. I'm not going to show. He will show. Trevor Whitman will show. Straight partner will show. But this is the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen in the sport. Taking something away from him, he earned it. And give it to somebody. Brother Charles Oliveira lost four times to 145 pounder in the UFC. Yeah. You have, he almost have double digit losses. I love Brazil. I grew up around Enzo Gracie. It's nothing against Brazil. I love Brazil. But Charles Oliveira cannot even tie Kamara Osman's shoes. He come to me. 
You know, I'm being honest with you. I'm talking Kamara Osman. Kabir is my brother. He is my, I would die for him. I'm talking some talk about greatness. I think Kamara Osman has bypassed Kabir. He did. You ever, you ever think I would say that? Kabir would tell you Kamara Osman is the greatest of all the time. He was telling me the other day. He said, to be honest with you, this guy is an animal. He's not human. You understand? But you know what the problem is? Kamaru is a nice guy. You understand? But he will murder you inside this octagon. We will see. Well, I'm, I want to see him go to... I don't even care about the Edwards fight at this point. I just want to see him go to 205. Like that's, that's what gets... I, no disrespect to Leon, yeah. but that's what I want to see. It's one, one man in Las Vegas who makes the shot. It's Dana White. That's who makes the shot. And you know what? You know, you know, and I, and I love Dana White. You know, he's, he's, he's somebody I look up to. But in a way, he understands. I'm passionate about my people. You understand? You know, I, I understand. But I'm telling you something. He will beat Yuri's ass like he stole something from the grocery store. I'm telling you this today. I know everybody's going to say I'm crazy. You can call me a terrorist. You can call me whatever you want. But I'm telling you something. Kamar will beat Yuri, will beat Glover, and he will beat Juan's ass. Remember what Corey Anderson did to Jan Blackaway? Remember that. Kamaru beat him just the same, maybe even worse. You remember Corey Anderson beat Glover? Kamaru beat him just worse. You understand? Because the style makes fights. These guys can't wrestle. And Kamaru's going to make them tired. And after that, he's going to stop these guys. He might, he might finish these guys. He definitely can finish here. I can tell you that. Well, I want to see that. That's exciting for me. I think that should be exciting for any fight fans. We've just never seen it before. We've never seen somebody. And I spoke to Kamaru about this. I said, you, you're doing this, but you just want to test. You want to see what the ceiling of your greatness is. And I just think that we saw Canelo do that against Bivol. I said the same thing to Kamaru. We saw Canelo move up, what, two, three weight classes to test himself. And he lost, and that's fine. But Bivol is an Olympian. I just, but that's the kind of risk that Kamaru is willing to take. To, to, to magnify his greatness. I just think everybody needs to admire that. But I know we can talk about Kamaru forever. Can we move on to, uh, to Henry Cejudo? I, I know that right now is kind of a good day for Henry Cejudo because Yair Rodriguez wins this fight today very inconclusive fashion. And now nobody really knows what to do with this division. Henry, that's, that's, that's the perfect game plan. The reason Henry Cejudo is not fighting for the Pentamont title because Sean Shelby and, 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 and Hunter, they had dinner with him. He wasn't ready in September. They have a division, they have to move on. Right now, the UFC maybe can go to Australia next year. Henry Soto go to Australia. I respect Alexander Bonnowski, but one of the guys, you cannot doubt him, Henry Soto. Who, who can doubt him? Do you doubt Henry Soto? This is the plan, you know. Henry Soto will go there, beat Alexander Bonnowski in Australia. Come back, the home soil, red and white, red and, white and blue, and give him a rematch. This is the right fight. UFC is a business. They're gonna do whatever, make him the most money. Of course, they little bit integrity for sure, but it's about money. Dana White understand green and understand self fight to promote fight, right? You know, and Henry can promote this fight. And I'm telling you now, Alexander, this is the best fight. And if you want some pay per view fight, he should be calling for this fight. You know. Uh, Arnold, what's his name? Uh, Yair, man, Yair, you know, he find ways not to fight. You know, Yair, he did turn down, he run from Zabit four fight, four times. Well, forget about that or what? You understand? I got nine against the kids, but the kid is not, he, I don't know if he like to fight. 
what's his name? Josh, Josh, uh, Josh, Josh Ahmed. I think you should make Josh Ahmed versus here and make number one contender match. And after that, Henry Saludo fight. This is my opinion, but who I am. I don't make decisions. That's what I want. I don't get everything I want in life. But that's what I think should happen. But it might happen, it might not happen. All right, so the UFC calls you and says, we want to book Henry against Josh Emmett or against Yair Rodriguez for the interim featherweight title. Do you think Henry would take that fight? Brother Henry is after legacy, but who's, who's, who's Yair Rodriguez? You understand? You know, it's easy fight for Henry. It's easy. You know, remember what Frankie Edgar did to him? You know what I'm saying? It would be the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Josh Allen, what's Josh Emmett? It's a great guy. I can't say nothing about him. He's a good man. You know, Danny Garcia, Danny Castillo's his coach. I respect these people. You understand? But I'm telling you something. Josh Amit will beat Yair Rodriguez. I'm telling you this. You know, I'm telling you this. But in reality, listen, UFC want to make money. Henry want to make history. What they want to do? Simple. They have to make the call. You know, all we have to do is talk. You know, that's it. I don't, I don't make decisions. Dana White make decisions. Well, how willing is Henry to fight, in, you know, at bantamweight or fe like featherweight if it's not a title fight? Does he being very picky with who his next opponent's going to be if, since he's coming back and he's in the USADA pool? Aaron, Henry's holding back. He's not faking it. He's not playing around. He is back. Henry's holding his next fight. He's going to fight someone for a title. Who make this decision? It's two people. Sean Shelby and Dana. That's the matchmaker and Dana White. And some other people in the office. They're going to make whatever is going to make the most money for them. They're going to do it. Everything, every, nothing else matters. I can say here whatever I want. Whatever I say, it doesn't matter. I got no power over these guys. What's going on with Frankie Edgar? He's uh, still ranked at bantamweight. What's his next move? I know you've represented him. He's one of your first ever clients. I remember emailing you 12 years ago to book an interview with the guy for radio. So tell me about Frankie and where he's at. Frankie Edgar is a living legend. He can do whatever he wants. But the plan is, you know, me, you know, me and uh, me and Sean talked about this. Uh, I want him to retire. You know, I, I think he does everything in the sport. I think he's he's comfortable. And uh, he said he would like to do one more Madison Square Garden November 12th. That's what he like to do. Does he have a choice of opponent? Anybody he'd like to face? Frankie never chose an opponent. Any requests? <laughs> Anything anybody he likes as an opponent? It doesn't matter. Ricky Simone had a good win today. I think that would make uh, some sense. Doesn't matter. There's a matchmaker named Sean Shelby. You make this decision. All right. Well, I'm hoping that's no, no. the case. No, no. If you want to talk about Ricky Simone, I got Omar Nurmagomedov. That's who everybody's ducking right now. And I think that makes perfect sense. You know? Or Jacques Shur. Omar Jacques Shur in Abu Dhabi. Omar Ricky Simone in Abu Dhabi. I'm going to tell you something. This is the future champion at 135. They can't stop it. I'm telling you. Josh, Luke Thomas talking about him. DC talking about him. Joe Rogan talking about him. And the guy only have three fights in the UFC. He's a problem. And this is what people should be watching out. Listen, O'Malley is great. What do you think will happen if O'Malley and Omar fight? And I like O'Malley, by the way. What do you think will happen? I don't think anybody wants to fight Umar personally. I think you're going to have a tough time getting this guy a fight. Now, um, your, no, your, no, your no name is Swiss because you want to give me an answer, but it's okay. <laughs>
<laughs> so uh, hey, I, I think Umar is somebody who nobody's going to want to face. I, he's one of those, these guys, you, you've managed a lot of these guys. Kamaru was one of those guys. Nobody really wanted to face him. Um, Islam. Islam was one of those guys. Now Panil one of these guys. He's supposed to fight Dustin Poirier, and I love Dustin Poirier. I don't know what happened. You understand? I don't know what happened. And I think, you know, conversation has to happen. And, you know, my guys fight anybody. You know, now it's time for somebody to stop and fight Benil because Benil is on eight fight winning streak. He need he he deserves a title shot. You know what I'm saying? I think they should have made Benil and Islam. If Oliveira was playing game, go ahead, sit down. But you know, it's okay. I'm glad Oliveira took the fight. I'm glad he got paid if he did. And if he don't, whatever. But you know, he's a good fighter. But I all the time say is a big difference between great fighter and good fighter. Islam Makhachev is a great fighter. He's a next level fighter. Charles Oliveira is a, is, is, it's, it's a 50-50 fighter. You don't know if the guy who beat Chandler or the guy who lost to Max Holloway or uh, Jim Miller. You're never going to know who's going to show up. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm predicting today Charles Oliveira is not going to show up October 22nd. Kayla Harrison looks like she's on her way to winning another million dollars. I'm still, I don't think you heard me. I don't think. I think he's going to pull out. I don't think Charles Oliver, I think he's going to pull out October 27th. So who do you think Islam would fight for the title then? Benil? Whatever the UFC choose should be Benil, for sure. You know? And I think the UFC is going to try to put on another 155 fight because they know Charles Oliver is going to might pull out of the fight. If are I you, with him, I'll pull out of the fight too. Are you hoping Benil's on that card? Just as a backup? That's a much make a job. I don't make this decision. I asked if you're hoping. Is that something you hope to see? I already asked. You know, they mention it. They want him to be on the card. Yeah, they do. Listen, I don't like to announce and say things without the UFC announcing or any promoter announcing because my job is not to announce fight. My job is to promote my guys and fight for them on the inside and the outside. I understand. I mean, I'd like to, I'd like for you to announce the fight, but I get uh, that you probably not want to rub people the wrong way. No, I just no. I can announce fight then, you know. But I just think I was a promoter, and I think the promoter job to announce fight because you know schedule, ticket, television, uh, you know ads, like all that is timing. And I just and I know I've been there, and I think as a professional, you know, little bit professional, uh, I I have to you know let them do their job. Kayla Harrison is looking great in the PFL tournament. She's on her way to another million dollars, it seems. But when she signed the contract, they were talking about this pay-per-view division, talking about Chris Cyborg. Is the PFL delivering in terms of what Kayla Harrison is looking for going forward? The PFL doing everything they said they're doing with Kayla. Over, honestly, delivering. I have to give it to them. You know, you know, Pete and Ray and these guys, you know, they're over-delivering. But, you know, Kayla has to fight in London. But I think we're going to have a problem after London. Because I think Kayla should be tested professionally. And Pacheco, if she win, both have to be tested by Rusada Awada. You know, Kayla's a clean athlete. I can guarantee you he's a clean athlete. I just, I'm not accusing anybody, but I don't feel comfortable for any of my fighters when they have this advantage when they go into a fight. And I think PFL and ESPN. They're very high level. They're very professional. And one of the things I'm going to ask them for the final, everybody should be tested before the final. You know, and I'm going to tell you something. 
Kayla Harrison will be tested if they wanted to. And Pacheco, I wanted to be tested. You know, I wanted to be tested. That's it. Did they get tested by the commission? I think they get tested by the commission, but only during fight week. Listen, I want to be tested by Wada or Usada. They have to be tested. Kayla beat her already two times. But I'm just telling you, I, I want this. That's not Kayla won. I want. And I think people should respect my opinion because I don't think anybody should be fighting dirty. And I think some of these people are fighting dirty. I'm not going to say their names, but I know, I know for sure. And Kayla's made no secret about wanting to face Chris Cyborg. From what I understand, she's a free agent or coming up on free agency. Do you think that she ends up in the PFL? Because for the pay-per-view division, that's probably the best fight to make. Kayla, Kayla, Kayla's not. Kayla have six fight deals PFL. She already did two. She doing three. She got she got four more fights. And PFL, she's happy with PFL. She's she's the highest paid female athlete right now in MMA or boxing. Nobody even close. Jake Paul and all those guys can say whatever the fuck they want. Kayla's the highest paid, paid combat sport athlete, female. Hand down, nobody close. Doesn't matter what they say. I know that for sure. Cyborg, you know, this cyborg business, why Kayla needs cyborg? Let me tell you something. If Kayla went to Bellator, cyborg is going to come to PFL. If Kayla stayed in PFL, cyborg is going to stay in Bellator. You know what I'm saying? No disrespect cyborg. Cyborg do want to see Kayla. And I understand she have a legacy you have to protect. She has something to lose. Kayla doesn't have nothing to lose. Any of your other clients uh, got anything going on right now before we wrap up? Man, you know, you got to talk about, you know, Omari uh, from PFL. He's doing great. You got to talk about Chris Will, the resurgent. He looked great. Papa Jenkins look unstoppable. You know, we're going to see these two guys fighting in the final. You know, this is so many. I met so many great fighters. You know, the Masvidal and Gilbert Byrne. I hope this fight will kind of shape very time soon. I think Gilbert Byrne now is the wrong guy to fight. I believe Gilbert Byrne will be Masvidal. And he'll probably rematch Kamara down the road. And Ankalaev, Dana White had said that that was going to be a number one contender's fight, the Ankalaev-Smith fight. Now I'm guessing that's not the case. It looks like they're trending towards a rematch. Ankalaev's still young, but uh, is he disappointed by that? Ankalaev is built to break mountains. You can't break him. You know what I'm saying? Habib waited nine fights before he fought for title. Islam waited ten fights. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to wait. We're going to smash everybody. We're going to smash everybody. What do you think Uncle Life and Yuri or Uncle Life will play with them? Yeah, I can tell you this. Kamara said, I don't want to fight Uncle Life. He said that. I didn't say that. But I'm showing you something. Everybody above Uncle Life is easy. It's easy. These guys, they're easy. You know, but Uncle Life have a very good opponent, Anthony Smith. I respect him. And we have to see what's going to happen. You know, Uncle Life might go ahead and Head kick him, knock him out, and then you know how Dana is. He's emotional. He changes his mind. I know. Well, I picked a good day to speak with you when you're fired up. I mean, you're fired up most of the time, but today you're particularly fired up. I appreciate your time. Thank you for this. Look forward to speaking with you again soon. Awesome, man. Hey, how was it? All right, a huge thank you to all of our guests, and thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into the show week in and week out. Couldn't do it without you. Appreciate you. You can subscribe wherever the show is. We're sorry, wherever you get your podcast, you can rate and review the show. I would always appreciate that. Positive reviews 
help the SEO value of the show, which helps me help you. Help you help me. How's that sound? Let's make this a, let's make this a uh, reciprocal relationship. Now, later this week, I'm actually going to Niagara Falls, New York for the Association of Boxing Commission's annual conference. I'll be taking the refereeing course, judging course, and uh, next week on the show, I will be getting back to you with what I learned at the conference and uh, anything else that I pick up from, from there. And then I'll be heading to Dallas next week for a UFC 278. 277, rather. UFC 277. These numbers are, always confuse me. UFC 277 in Dallas. The rematch between Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. That's going to be a good one. So you'll get a lot of interviews from down there uh, next week on tsn.ca slash UFC. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.